Sir. What is it? Can I talk to you for a moment, please, sir? Well? I don't need that, sir. You don't need that, Private. We're right here. Now, what is it? I don't need that, sir. Now, what is it? I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. What's wrong with it? I've lost the bleeps, I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. The sweeps. And the creeps. That's not all he's lost. <gasps> sir, the radar, sir. It appears to be jammed. Jammed. Raspberry. There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry. This week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Hello there, listeners. Welcome to episode. Oh my gosh. Let me see here. Episode one, two, three, four, five fingers. One, two, three, four, five fingers. One, two, three, four, five toes. One, five toes. Number 20. Episode 20. Wow, this is exactly episode 20. 20. Precisely episode 20. Beautiful. Brilliant. I'm uh, one of your co hosts, Brian. With me, as usual, is. Dr. Claw. (laughs) 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 Bad cat. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. Let's let's restart the episode. Too late. <laughs> I am I am Chris and I'm I'm really happy to be here. And with us today, um uh, although I delayed us by a full hour, is our friend Joe. Hello. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Very glad to hey, have Joe. you back with us, Joe. Hope you're doing I'm glad well. to be back. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like I like I was saying off off air, it was a it was a tough week, so I'm glad to be here uh to, to have a good time. Well, that's good. That's me great. too. So we're going to have a bit of a, a shorter show today. We'll make it up to you guys. We really have to make it up to you all because I think we have three voicemails and a letter or something waiting for us. It's extremely humbling. Wow. We're so happy to have all this good stuff waiting for us. So our apologies. We're going to get to that stuff later on in the week. But uh, our esteemed guest's time is limited with us. And so we want to make the most of uh, of our, 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 our joeful times. Joeful times. That's yeah. Joeful. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Beautiful joke. I always um, use that. Um, oh, so because we have, we have uh, my, my fellow uh, Euro Truck Simulator fan on uh, the, the horn with us again this oh, time. Oh, yeah. I have a uh-huh. story about Euro Truck Simulator to regale. <laughs> I'll do it. So my wife is, like, super-duper hooked on this game. Um, I, I come home from work, and uh, she's uh, she's... Like leaning into the screen and swearing at her fellow motorists and all that. She's just like hook, line, and sinker into this game. And uh, <laughs> I came home the other day. It was on Friday. I came home and she's like, oh, I don't know what the hell is going on with this stupid game. I can't go faster than like 57 miles an hour. There's something broken oh. with this. I'm really pissed hmm. off. And so uh, we're trying to troubleshoot it together and can't really figure out what the heck it is. Like cruise control isn't on, isn't on or anything like that. And like the axes of her uh, analog uh, dash pedal button we're like recognizing the full extent of that and then our uh, lovely little budgie Maxie flies down and uh, lands on her mouse and starts biting the mouse wheel and okay. she's like biting and chewing on the mouse wheel and she turns it a little bit 
And so this is such an appropriate <laughs> name. This is such an appropriate name for the feature that she's invoked. <laughs> there is a feature of uh, of real and simulated trucks that uh, lets you uh, specify the maximum possible speed so that you uh, are you kidding? Don't do it and. Just perfect for this little bird of ours, this feature is called the Retarder. <laughs> so our little budgie engaged, she invoked the Retarder, like no one else could. <laughs> is, it really, is it really slave to the mouse wheel? Yeah, by, de- by default. It's that sounds like a terrible wheel. place. Yeah. Well, I don't know, it's because you can adjust it up or down. Depending on right. what the, what the uh, speed limit is, or so. So, from a practical perspective, it makes sense because that word work with the mouse wheel. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I always do like I always inadvertently do things with the mouse wheel without realizing it. Yeah, well, yeah. This, this was wow. one step above and beyond that because she didn't think that such a tiny little <laughs> birdie could cause such a havoc. A little birdie told you. That's right. <laughs> it did. So, uh... <laughs> so did you guys have any good Euro Truck Simulator adventures after you figured it out? Uh, not I. I um, I kind of uh, I kind of uh, go head head first into this game and play it for a good week or two, and then I give it a, a rest for a little while. <laughs> we uh, just bought this expansion, which takes you into uh, Nordic countries. I think it's like Sweden. Oh wow! Or, I don't know yeah, I think this is the second expansion. Yeah, I believe so. That's right. I forgot about that because when because there was one the doing game, one. Yeah, one. The first one was the Eastern Poland, Europe. Was yeah. Yeah, it was called Going East. There so. You go. Uh, we need to like we need to like found a little independent studio that publishes like a Canada expansion pack for Euro Truck Simulator. Oh well, in fact, I think that's rumored or likely to happen uh, when they really? release their expan- their next um, the next sequel is going to be called American Truck Simulator. And oh, uh, I think they've kind of hinted that you'll be able to go north of the border, which is super duper cool. I hope they like make it really political, so like American Truck Simulator actually just automatically includes. You know, newly annexed Canada. It's just part of its map system. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Alternate post-apocalyptic future truck simulator. Exactly. That'd be great. We need to. We need to. We need to ship uh, forty uh, liters of forty four hundred liters of human blood to Kentucky. <laughs> That'd be sweet. For some reason, when you told me about the, uh, the the auto speed thing, I don't know. In my head, all I could think of was like. <laughs> I don't know why it made me think of this, but it was just it's like hit hit the right bracket so you can automatically match speed with your enemy target. And, <laughs> oh, uh, I know. Like, <laughs> they should build that into semi trucks. <laughs> oh, I know. Like like competing. Intelli- it's all intelligent cruise control, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that'll be so sweet. Yeah, you have to like ram, ram the competing logistics companies off the road so that you can deliver your cargo first. Carmageddon oh. truck simulator twenty fourteen. Oh. <laughs> It's basically the way I, I already drive. I mean, there you go. I I think I think it was actually Ben and Francisco talking about this recently on Blue Cup Tools that they're uh, they're driving. Uh, somebody was complaining about cruise control and how they how, how they find it so lazy. I can't remember what it was, but I I'm like I'm one of those yeah. people. I'm like if it's if it's forty kilometers an hour on the road, I will use cruise control. If if there's like heavy traffic, I will like let out this big annoyed sigh because I have to turn off my cruise control for thirty eight seconds. Break. <laughs> yeah, living in Toronto, it's. I think I have to get like two hours out of the city or something before there's yeah, so yeah, little traffic like, that we can. When use I'm dri- when I'm driving to Montreal, that's wow. the only time I can use it. Once I'm like you know outside past like uh, I don't know like Burlington or something. Burlington, like or if I'm going the other way, like Bowmanville or something like that, then you can turn maybe turn oh, on right. the cruise control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Wow, that's shocking. I this is like this is that's like I, I turn on cruise control between like two red lights half a block apart. Um, <laughs> I've I've I am not geared for driving Toronto. Wow. Well, Toronto is one of the reportedly one of the worst drives in North America. So. Oh, that's funny. You know, I. I, every time I've driven through it, I really enjoyed it, but I think it's probably because I was never caught during commuter traffic or anything like that. I think only just once on my way to Peterborough, and it wasn't bad. Like I was just like, "Oh, this is fun." Toronto drivers are really skilled. You know, they don't they don't do jackass stuff like change lanes without turning on their signal lights. Or, sure they do. You know. Oh, sure they do. You got a you got a lucky run. Hey. Hey, he wrote the book on that stuff. I'm from Montreal, so I think Toronto drivers actually, are yeah. Actually, the one thing I know. Toronto wrote the book on is why the hell are there so many people on the road without license plates? <laughs> like what, what oh, is, is that? Great. Like I, I, I was driving down the highway. I'm like, that dude doesn't have a license plate. Five minutes later, somebody else like, flies by me doing 150. That dude doesn't have a license plate. I'm like, are these cars all stolen? Like, what's the deal? That's a good question. I have seen. <laughs> my wow. Yeah. I want to, we need to make a competing product for like Canadian driving simulator. Um, you know, if you get if you get annoyed with people around, you just drive through the shoulder, drive in the ditch. I mean, that's like go. the the Alberta solution. It's just take your four by four through the ditch, over like a concrete embankment, and then just kind of give the finger to everyone stuck in traffic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Screw you guys. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Ah, wow. Hey, well, uh, why don't we why don't we uh, jump right in here, um, Joe? Uh, what have, have you been? Uh, I know you've had a busy week. Have you had time to play anything since? Uh, since we talked to you last, I actually just was uh, just this morning just started getting into a really fun game called Starpoint Gemini Two. Oh, I've heard of that. What oh. is that game again? It's sort of like a space exploration type, you know, combat or you know, kind of that thing. You you, you get a ship, you you build it up, and you can buy new ships. Sure. Like, kind of like I, I guess it's sort of based on like Freelancer. Oh, really? Okay. So it's kind is of that it, idea. Is it like a fr- is it a freeware game or is it like no, 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 a commercial it's product? It, it's a commercial product. It's been, I'm not sure huh. when it came out. It's not that old, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of like a you know, kind of like a privateer slash freelancer slash like, it's not, not sure. like first person like privateer, but, uh, but really cool. I haven't, huh. been play, I, I've been playing it about, I got a couple of hours in kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, I'm just starting to get enough money to upgrade my ship and figure out things. And, you know, there's RPG elements where you're okay. You know, you're the captain of your ship and you have a crew and, right. uh, you know, you level yourself up and you give yourself different, uh, like there's different classes. Like I'm an engineer so I can like, you know, uh, hack enemy ships and like disable them while they're attacking. Oh, me. Right. Yeah, I'm so it's at, actually uh, looking at screenshot. It kind of reminds me a little bit. It's like halfway between freelancer and like a Star Trek third person kind of. A game. I don't know. Do you ever oh. play Star Trek Online? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Seems to remind me a little of that, where you can kind of choose the the job of your captain, whether it's an engineer, or a science officer, or a tactical gotcha. guy, and that kind of affects. Yeah. yeah. So you got different things. skills, and then you can also hire like different uh, different officers, and they provide you with different uh, different kind of uh, buffs and and things like that. So. It's pretty wow. cool, and, and the music is nice. The graphics are, are are beautiful. It plays very smoothly. It's it's like you'd think it wouldn't be fast paced, but it is, and it's got kind of that oh huh. one more mission, one more mission kind of thing. So, oh nice. It, for some reason, you're kind of like just in small ways reminding me of um, oh shoot um, the roguelike uh, space flight game. Um, FTL. Jeez. Uh, FTL. Yeah. Um, yeah it's a little FTL. Bit like FTL. 
kind of has a little bit of the mission, uh, not the mission structure, but sorry, the um, command structure sounds the same. And plus, it it is totally that kind of game where it's like, okay, just one more mission, okay. And then it's like, you know, you're all of a sudden you've got a fire breaking out in your engine room, which you try to put out by running out all the oxygen, which chokes your your engineer to death, which means that, you know, the... <laughs> I, I love that when things fall apart in FTL, they really, really fall apart. Oh yeah, it all it all goes to hell. And actually, this was one of the first games I actually I got it on because uh, GOG had their sale, I guess, last week, and now the ah. Steam sale's on the big mm-hmm. Steam Summer Sale. So I got this on GOG for a, a pretty good right. discount. Hmm. Oh, fantastic! And apparently, they're going to be releasing some uh, free DLC. I think this week, so kind of a, their first. Or I don't know if it's their first big expansion, but a big expansion is coming out, and it's going to be free for everyone who already owns the game. Oh, I love what they do. Oh, that. wow, that's cool. It looks like a good game. I'm going to consider this one. I love this kind of a game. Yeah, I heard about it. I was uh, I was back on on Space Game Junkie on on their podcast last week, and they were talking about this, and uh, so I had to jump over and uh, and get it. All right. Oh, on. very cool. I can't wait to give it a shot. How much did you? How much is the regular price on it? Uh, I have it up here in in the uh, in my GOG Galaxy client. Oh, let's see. <laughs> oh, it's on sale. It's oh, is it still on sale? It's on it's on the Steam sale right now. It looks like it's like forty nine thirty nine dollars Canadian. Normally. Wow. Uh, regular price so right on. now it's seventeen forty one. Yeah, so nice. good good so deal. Basically, like full full triple A pricing. Yeah. Oh, and oh, the first one cool. is. I, I'm excited. Three bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played the first one, so I can't speak to that. You don't, it, you don't really need to know. It's it's not quite open world, but you know, it, it sort of is in that you can just kind of explore around. And I think they're the stories are kind of coming out in the campaigns. So the first campaign that's there is kind of unstructured. Mm-hmm. But there's factions, and that's the other thing about it. There's all these factions, and you do missions for different factions, and that adjusts your your rep with them. And some will start to like you, some will start to hate you, and you know, that will right. affect which missions you, you get moving forward. So, you know, that, that may add to the replayability. I don't know that yet for a fact, but uh, it seems like that'll be the case. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty standard for these I kinds love. of games. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, that, that sounds like a good one. Anything else worth mentioning? Uh, some stuff on my phone. Let me see here. If I pull it up. There's one that came out recently called, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, You Must Build a Boat. Oh, I just bought that on Steam, actually. The sequel to 10 Million. Yeah, exactly. So oh, I had no, I've just, never heard of this. Yeah, I had just heard about 10 Million, and I started playing that, and I kind of got addicted to it for some reason, because it, it's a, they're weird games. Like, they're, they're very similar games. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, Brian, maybe you can do better at explaining it than I can, because I don't really... I like it, but I can't really explain it. All right, so these it games... It sounds very indie. Well, it is very indie. They're like they're match three games where it's like okay. RPG match three. So by matching the three things in a row, you either attack with uh, swords or with magic, or you can you oh. get all these resources that you can match as well, and those help you with crafting and stuff like that. So the idea is that you want to defeat these monsters while collecting resources, and even if you only uh, you you play for a little while and. Um, as you are faced with an obstacle like a locked chest or like a monster or something like that, sure. um, your character who's on this like little horizon timeline sort of a thing keeps getting pushed more and more to the left hand edge of the screen. And by killing okay. a monster, then it, uh, you run, you get to run forward just a little bit, or by opening a chest by matching oh, keys together, I you run a little bit. So the idea is to do as much as you can before you're shoved off the left hand side of the screen. And even if you don't do very well, whatever you've done kind of accumulates a little bit. 
do uh, gotcha. So so provision. so basically every it's like so there are, uh, let's say a a limited number of term terms for the entire game. Well, it's uh, not really turn based. It's like time based. Oh. Where you oh, can, it's time based. Wow. So, so they kind, they kind of match as quickly as possible. Yeah, they kind of frame oh, it like you don't ever. Yeah, you don't ever lose. You just keep trying again, kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Like you always and in and you must build a boat. I don't know if they did this in ten million, but in you must build a boat. Every time you die, basically, it says you win. <laughs> Hooray! Everyone's a winner. Actually. Now go exactly. get your circles of paper. It is kind of. It's pretty punishing though. The first one. I, I I grew to love the first game, but I think I played it for ten minutes, and it's not a traditional match three. It's the kind of game where you it's sort of like a Rubik's cube, I guess, where you like slide the whole row. Um, oh, I see. Slide, yes, and you can only slide the row, and it'll stay there if you've matched something. Which, in so, a way, is right. nice because if I can't find anything, I just start sliding the rows randomly until something matches. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> you're, you're under real time constraint, so you, the the first real demon you have to slay is just kind of your. Uh, your your choice paralysis, where you don't know what to do next. So it's better to do sure. anything than to do nothing, which is kind of what you learn. It's a uh, it's a surprisingly engaging, fun little game. Both my wife and I uh, bought copies because we enjoyed the first one cool. so much. So this was one I tried it on my phone, the, the the first game, and then I tried it on my PC. I actually got a refund on the one on the phone because even though it's a game all about sliding things, I somehow felt more precise. Oh, it wasn't that I felt more precise with the mouse, it's that my, my big fat finger covered half the stuff I wanted to look at <laughs> on my phone, so I didn't know what I was matching properly. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a lot one. of fun. Yeah, it's all kind of 8-bitty eight, eight and both graphically and sound effects-wise, so that's kind of, you know, appeals the music to my... is really good. Yeah, it is. It sounds yeah, very PC. Very NES-ish. It is. Okay, dancing. so it's meant meant to be like kind of retro-y kind of look. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's kind of like self-aware, silly uh, RPG fantasy kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. cool. So that's a yeah. good one. So yeah, aside from that, unfortunately, as I said, I have one more that I've been playing, but I, I, it's it's more related to the main topic, so I'll hold on to that one. Okay, sure. Awesome. Uh, how about you, Chris, besides playing Mountain Climber? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and I've been failing miserably at that. So um, what I've been succeeding at is um, Betrayal of Condor. Oh, my God. Oh, I know wow. I brought, brought this up like, yeah, two episodes in a row, but I have to talk about it more. Um, I'm just like so incredibly impressed by the ah, just everything about it. And so, so what I've been doing is um, reading the book concurrently with a game, which is something I've never done before. Um, and... Oh, and does, do the narratives like, overlap? Yeah. Oh, not even overlap. The The book is just a direct expression of the game. It's a retelling. And right. Isn't that what you guys, you guys mentioned that, right? Like that it was, yeah. he, he wrote the book after the game came out. Exactly. And I'm, and I'm so like blown away that, um, how, how do I put this? That he obviously had played the game and he was good at it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right. Like, unless, unless somebody provided him with like a, a 500-page briefing on here's, like, one run-through of the game. The guy obviously understood the game. He understood the character. So what he does is he'll even have, like, these these battle scenes that encourage, like, um, how, what would I call them, like, kind of pre, um, pre-arranged battles that happen in the game. Um, there's one, for instance, uh, there's a battle where you get accosted by four Mordell kind of uh, warriors who are hiding inside of a barn. 
And I remember that really, really specifically from the game because it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, fuck, I'm facing these like ultra difficult enemies for the first time. And there's a bunch of them, not just one or two. And he covered that. He actually covered that moment in the book where, and he actually kind of like thought it, thought it through like a gamer would. And he kind of gamed, uh, he gamed the battle in, in the book. Um, and it's there's other like moments which I really like. He's chosen to kind of scalpel out any of the kind of crust that doesn't uh, that doesn't make for good storytelling in a novel. There's so no grinding, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know. <laughs> it doesn't translate very how many well times, to a novel. Yeah, it's like how many times in that game do you do you sleep in front of your campfire for you know fifty two days trying to heal up your characters? Right. So, That's right. <laughs> or using you know. Um, what is it, invigoration potion or something on, on Owen 22 times to get his health back up to the point where he's not near death 100%. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, really, it's really impressive. And the book is like, the more I read the book, more I think just like, this guy's a really masterful storyteller. So um, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that. Um, uh, my girlfriend and I started playing, oh, this is really funny. Oh, sorry, if it gets really noisy, I'm just crossing over a stream. One oh, second. I hear it. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 I love this. I love this aspect of, of this podcast is that there's always like some stuff going on. It's like getting oh. the outside in. Chris is a man of action. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay, starting to fade. I can almost see you guys. as we speak, aren't you, yeah. Chris? Crossing, crossing hill and dale. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, yeah, it's interesting because it kind of the fact that you're reading the book and playing the game kind of reminds me of, of Brian of your course that that you're you're doing. Yeah, 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 right. That's right. Yeah, the remediation of the same story in uh, two different uh, mediums. If only there was a movie as well. Yeah, if only. It's funny being able to do the comparison like head to head. And, you you know, normally I'm the type that would say, oh, you know, don't compare a book in a game or don't compare a book in a movie. You're liable to be disappointed. But in this case, actually, it's adding to the experience, which is kind of surprising. Oh, one really cool thing. I just remembered. Um... This has never happened to me before, especially reading Lord of the Rings or any other movie slash book thing. Um, the music in Betrayal at Condor is really, really iconic. I don't know why it's so good, but it's just very interesting and it's very kind of, it's, I don't know, it's just its own thing. And, um, sorry, um, this is for you trolls. I'm actually going to have to get naked here as part of the podcast because I'm soaking wet. Um, <laughs> Did you fall into the stream that you just crossed? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm still soaked from the the hike, so I'm just going to take off some clothes here. Um, <laughs> um, Hi, Charles. The uh, the music is so iconic, and I've never had this reading before. I was reading about this scene where you know um, Gorath, Locklear, and Owen go into a tavern, and they meet this. Uh, uh, they meet this old elf, like this old elf, and the Sounds music like the beginning started. To a dirty joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Three, three, uh, a mortal, uh, a man, and uh, a wizard walk into a hotel and meet a dwarf. Um, so, I, uh, I, I walk in, and the music to the game started playing in my head as I was reading the book. Oh, great! And I was just like, oh, that's like, like such a, what a weird experience to have. So, I was, uh, I was pretty impressed. Um, just one second here. Um, it looks like the music was composed uh, by a guy named Jan or Jan Paul Moorhead. Who was yeah, kinda, that's right. Yeah. Jan Paul Moorhead. Um, yeah, he was the big kind of a big, the big composer guy at Dynamics. So he did a whole bunch of stuff from Willie Beamish that uh, keeps coming up. 
Oh, that's to, funny. Uh, I, I completely forgot about the Willie Beamish connection. Yeah, he did mm-hmm. Stellar 7, I think. and Yeah, NASCAR. and like, you know, all, a lot of the aces of various things, games, mm-hmm. and uh, Earth Siege. Yeah. yeah, I really like his stuff. But I think you're right, Chris, that it does have a pretty iconic soundtrack. When I was yeah. looking for that uh, song that you had mentioned for the end of last week's podcast, right. I came across right. a bunch of other music, <laughs> and I haven't played that game in, like, at least ten years, and it all kind of came fl- uh, flooding back into my mind. Yeah, right. I'm it's just funny. trying to remember. It's very memorable. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember graphically. Uh, the, it, it was, like, poly- polygonal, like, uh, landscapes was, with digitized characters, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah the exactly. overworld was Polygo- polygonal. Pol- yeah, polygonal landscapes, and then they use sprites for trees and stuff like that that would scale as you walk towards them. It looked and, awesome. Uh, it was really early 3D. Yes, exactly. Like non-accelerated. I think it might have even been non-textured. It was like a flight simulator almost, an early flight simulator. Yeah, I think I, I have to go back. I, I think i got to cover this for UMB cast just because I, I think I this was one of those games that, like, you know, I got from one of my friends at one point on, like, a pile <laughs> of, you know, like, handwritten floppy disks, and I played it for a little bit and said, oh, yeah, this is cool, and then some other shiny thing happened, and I never played a lot of it. Sure, it's a game that That's takes really, dedication, I think, isn't it, Chris? Absolutely. It's really funny you mention that because the way I got it was from a friend who I swapped games with regularly. Him and I were both privateer addicts. And um, he was like, oh, check out this amazing fantasy game. It's by my favorite author. And when he told me about it, I was I was really not interested. But he gave me like this pack of six or eight floppy disks. He's like, just, just install it. Give it a try. And um, I took it home and I got, I got sucked in really, really quickly. And I remember it was, I, I want to say it was a six, six month kind of, because uh, I didn't have any hint, hint books at that point for the game. Um, it was like a six-month addiction, and I never did finish the game in those days. Um, I got really, really far into it, but I never finished it. And it took me, oh, I want to say another 10 years before I actually, so it wouldn't be until uh, the mid-2000s that I finally finished Betrayal of Condor for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's I never definitely finished worth it. it. Yeah. Brian, um, can I ask you a big favor? Yeah. Do you want to call me back on my girlfriend's phone? Because uh, this phone is actually, I, I can barely hear out of the earpiece. I think I got, I think I got rain all over inside of the phone. <laughs> Your brand new phone, lovely. Okay, yeah, sure, uh, man, no, no problem. <laughs> yeah, just keep me on the air and I'll, uh, you can just, just cut me off and call me back. Okay, uh, one sec. Let's see if this works. This, this see, might how, be very how, magical. How well Skype holds up. Let's see. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to blow up your machine. <laughs> Too many streams. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> uh, almost got it. It's weird typing phone numbers on a keyboard because it's backwards, right? The the yeah. numeric unless it's like if you even if you're using the numeric keypad, it's upside down. I know. What the heck's up with that? Like, decide on something. That call? Decide on a standard. How long have we had touch tone phones and numeric Seriously. keypads? <laughs> All right, incoming, Chris. Woo! All right, let's do this. Right. This is going to be very, very cool. I can, I can like, oh. oh my god, it's actually working. This is scary. You should talk into both, and we'll get crazy echo, and everything will explode. Ooh. Exactly. Like, this, Whoa. Is, this is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, I can hear myself. <laughs> this is some like. I uh, sound like a nerd. This is some Matrix <laughs> stuff going on right here. I don't know if my poor brain can can handle this. Okay, disconnecting. Well, that was otherworldly. There we go. How's that? That's just fine. (laughs) Wow, that was weird. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was that was that was like the creepiest feedback I've ever had. (laughs) Oh no! Yes, 
I was playing a lot of Betrayal like Prondor, uh, well, actually more, more of the book, but, um, and then, oh yeah, and I, th- then my girlfriend and I started playing Broken Sword 2, and, uh, mm. uh, Broken Sword 2, The Smoking Mirror. Have you guys played that one? Uh, from what I've heard about it, I don't really intend to. <laughs> I did a what very you, tiny amount when I covered it, but, uh, yeah. not much. Trolls will now send yeah. us an email telling us how bad it is. Please do, Trolls. No. No, Broken Sword 2 is fantastic. Uh, it, it is really enjoyable, honestly. Really? Really? Yeah. We're having a great time. It's got, like, um, less... Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? Oh. oh breaking up a little. We're losing you. Oh, sorry. sorry. I'll, uh, it should improve here in a few seconds. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm just getting to the highway. Uh, so... Um, you're back no, now. Broken you're good. Sword, okay, good. Uh, Broken Sword 2 is honestly very, very good. I, I think uh, we're only maybe halfway through the game, but I think there's like every reason to think it's better than the first one. I think, yeah, no, if, I think, if I'm thinking right, yes, Broken Sword 2 is very similar to the first game, right? Like, yeah, it's technologically. Almost like, it's almost identical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like it was that. Broken Sword 3 where they really changed it up and everyone kind of uh, okay, freaked okay, out. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the one everyone hates. Broken Sword yeah. So 3. some people, some people, it, it's just a matter of preference. Some people will say, "Oh, the story in Broken Sword One and the gameplay in Broken Sword okay. One is better versus Broken Sword Two. But yeah, I think Broken okay. Sword Three is that where they changed it to three D or some ridiculousness? Yeah, I want to say it's three D. Yeah, and it was all about mm-hmm. box pushing. <laughs> that sounds pretty awful. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're really enjoying it. Oh, and they replaced Nico's voice. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> it, it is no longer a fake. French accent, Sean. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, they finally uh, put what I suspect, unless it's the same actress, but I suspect they changed it out for somebody who might actually be Parisian. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, she's, she's tolerable in this. And, you know, George is George. I think I actually kind of noticed there's a lot more dick jokes in this one than in the first book <laughs> in Sword. Oh, that's a plus. kind of surprising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a good game, and um, and keeping me strung along. I was getting actually kind of, like, the one thing they, they cut, and I think this is a great thing, is they cut out the 25-minute-long dialogue conversations that I was seeing in Broken Sword 1. I was mm. so bored. You know, it's like, ask him about this inventory. Now ask him about this one. This one, they actually only let you ask about very specific inventory items. Okay. So the con- conversations is always going to be limited to some joke or quip, you know, um, George carries around a lump of coal, which we have no idea what he's going to use it for. Um, he also carries around uh, the worm from the bottle bottom of a, uh, a tequila bottle, yeah. which he likes to show people. But it's, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's kind of creepy. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. So It's like the fish in Space Quest Six. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh my God. Thank you for bringing that up, Joe. So the other thing I've been playing is um, for the first time in my life, it's Space Quest Five. Oh, um, you can mm. yeah, you can send me some hate mail trolls. I honestly, um, I am a huge space butt junkie, but I, but honestly, just due to popular hatred, I had always avoided space butt five and six. And, and you know, that's uh, very funny because as space quest goes, you know, from in and the formula of yep. space quest and all that, yeah, space quest five is very different. But is that the Josh Mandel one, yeah, that's five? the Josh yeah, Mandel one, right. right? And it is but, different. But I, I'm a big star trek fan and it's really just very much a riff on on star trek oh yeah mm-hmm. Absolutely. and 
I really enjoy it. I don't know. I, I mean, regardless of what people say, I think it's 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 a funny story. It's a great story. The the game is is a lot of fun. It has its moments. Yeah, it's... it has great moments too. The, one of the most iconic, like, fantastic things in all of video games is where you have to cheat off of the test of oh, the guy God. next to you. That's so so funny. Okay, I love that. So I enjoy. I even enjoyed the little arcadey mini game when you're still at the academy of cleaning the logo on the. Oh, that's terrific! The with your with your little uh, butt, butt. That plastic. is terrific. I like about the first third of that game. After that, I sort of lose interest. Oh, and I love your crew uh, on the ship. I, I, yeah. You know what I actually? You know what I liked about it was like. It was cool that it was kind of a mission-based structure. Um, I wasn't expecting that. It was much more like a Star Trek game. Um, you know, you've got you've got your your little um, uh, you've got your crew, and you issue commands like go to this sector, go to do garbage cleanup here or there. And I actually really like that. You know, you can pick whatever order you want to do it in. Yeah, and, I like you know, that too. It feels, it feels very space questy, but it also felt a little bit Star Trekky, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a and, very uh, different. It's a very different kind of space quest game, but I, honestly, I yeah, I like it. So I, you know, what I think the, the department where it suffers the most, um, and I I totally sympathize for what they were aiming for. Um, the, they really aim for this comic bookish kind of art art style. Yes, and it com- it comes off really really rough. Um, the the animation and stuff I found to be really strange, um, and I really kind of miss. The more I don't know what you call Space Quest Four. You just find a little bit more comfort with pixel pixel art, and this this kind of does not, you know, does not it wants to get away from pixel art as much as possible. And because of that, I found a lot of the animation to be really, really rough. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Between the animation and the sound effects, it's a little cartoony. Yeah. Your, your guy even exactly. goes dope, as I remember. Yes, yes, yeah, he exactly. does on a few occasions. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it, they like, they're really going for a much more like a cartoony style. Definitely, and you know, I I think Josh Mantel did actually a pretty awesome job with it. It's just uh, I'm only about a third of the way through, so I guess I should be waiting for this part for it to get crappy real soon. I think I actually it's part where I was actually kind of annoyed to see this. They brought back, uh, you know, instead of Arnoid the Annihilator, they've got the female version of him. I can't remember what her name was. Right, um, I forget too. And I'm being chased around on a, a map that looks like it came straight out of Space Quest Four. Yeah, sort of, I hate that part. Yeah, yeah that part it's is actually tough. pretty because there, there's there's basically one way to do it. I think at one yeah, point there's 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 an option to do something a, a different right. way, but but it's very scripted. Like you have to go here, you have to go here, you have to go like there's a way to get yeah. to each screen or you die. Yeah, yeah, I found that punishing. Maybe that's the only part that I really dreaded. Oh, there's that, and later on there's one there's one little. I'm not going to call it a mini game, but it's like a, it it. Uh, Involves uh, some like arcadey dexterity, and it was dependent on the speed of your CPU. And so I played it okay the very first time when I had just bought it, but then subsequently a, a year later or something, or two years later, when I had upgraded my PC, it was just unplayably fast, even at the slowest setting. Right. So maybe that's something that just kind of causes a negative, uh, a negative jolt in my brain or something when I think about the game. I should I should really give it a try again because it mm. really does have great moments to it. Oh, and I, and I guess one more thing that I wanted to bring up with regard – this isn't a game that I have played this week, but I've been watching uh, some videos of, uh, of a guy that I know playing, uh, playing through XCOM Enemy, Enemy Within, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's really caused me to want to, to play it again. I, I've revisited the game a couple of times already since it came out, and I, I just love it. I love re- Enemy even, Within? Which one is that? That's the, the expansion, basically. It's the newer one. 
Okay. Yeah, so it's XCOM Enemy Unknown, which is the one that came out a couple of years ago, and then they came out with an expansion called Enemy Within that added a few things. Oh, so this was kind of like a third-person shooter sort of a thing, wasn't it? No, it was kind of something totally different. It was kind of a throwback to the original XCOM. It's kind of turn-based. Oh, this was the one in the Civilization engine. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, is it's Firaxis, isn't it? Yeah, Firaxis? yeah, and it's it's such a well-done game. I got that game for free somehow, and I played the tutorial, and I kind of went meh. And really? I don't know what my problem was because it's a very well-beloved game, and like the favorite game of one uh, uh, game reviewer I really like named Dan, Dan Stapleton. He's been playing games for like 30 years, and this is his favorite game of all time. Yeah, because I find it, it took kind of the spirit of the original XCOM, which was really, really great but crushingly difficult, I've, I've mm-hmm. always found, and just made it a bit more – I'm still not great at it. I'm not good at tack, you know, turn – oops. Uh-oh. <laughs> we lose Chris. Those mountains – all right, yep. let's hang up on this guy. <laughs> this is pretty exciting. Yes. You go ahead. I'll try to call him back again. Um, well, yeah, it's basically, um, I find it, it took kind of what what was good about the first game and, uh, you know, just made it a bit more approachable, made it very visually appealing. Mm-hmm. And like just, the, no problem. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it went out of reception for like 10 seconds. And it was oh, we empathize. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just basically I, I'd been watching some videos of, of playing through that game. And, uh, and it's actually funny because uh, the guy James that, uh, that was playing through it, he, he has a Patreon and I, I kind of I, I, I contribute to him. So he's taken, because you can name all of your squad members, he's named the squad members all of his backers. So I'm in the game and I get oh, upset awesome. when like, I don't do well or if I, come, if, I, if I almost come close to dying, I'm like, no, no. <laughs> oh, you're like a soccer mom. Yeah, because well, it's me, right? So. Get, get little Joe off the bench. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> or, or get him out of the way so he doesn't get shot in the face. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, like I said, soccer mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. So anyways, you're not the oh, one. that's cool. I need, I need to try that again. Oh, it's, it's uh, maybe give it, I don't know. Give it a little bit of time. I just uh, it's it's good in a, in the way that it it causes you some anxiety because you're always kind of behind the eight ball kind of a thing. Like you're never quite caught up. You like your your research are you, is are always you talking about XCOM. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god! The new one. It is so punishing. I, it uh, is. I I I played that stupid game when uh, I think it's called. I want to call it NHL '94 mode. Uh, but but it's like the classic mode that's like the, the I think they just call it classic mode or right it's like classic it's, difficulty exactly classic difficulty and it's just absolutely vicious I yeah like I play never, it in like easier mode so I, I, I don't know what I was thinking like I, I sucked it at XCOM um, uh, UFO defense and uh, terror from the deep anyway I'm like why did I why would I purposely set it back the problem for me was I got too deep. I got like 20 hours into the game and, and I can't didn't change it, right? To. Yeah, exactly. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm screwed now. And then I actually, I think I mentioned this on one podcast many moons ago that I'd actually painted myself into a corner with the uh, randomized AI where no matter how I started the mission, I was actually doomed to fail it, uh, which, mm. which is kind of, which is kind of nuts. Um, I, no, no amount of saves coming was going to help me. So, <laughs> I was pretty hosed, and it was just because I think I'd gotten too far behind on scientific research that I just hadn't... Uh, Your I had, tech just couldn't keep up. Exactly. I couldn't keep up with the tech, and they eventually just overran me, so that was, uh, that was an end game. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I've been playing. What about you, Brian? 
All right, well, me, I finished Techno Babylon earlier this week. I was really Beautiful. glad to have done that. That's a really, really good adventure game. Like, wonderful dialogue. I, uh, it's it's Wajidai in a nutshell. It's mm-hmm. uh, just wow. like it's mature and respectful of, uh, of uh, players of advanced age, such as myself, who uh, <laughs> are looking for something just kind of uh, mature and meaty and thoughtful in terms of uh, subject matter and presentation. So I do enjoy that a lot. Wow. I had no problem getting through most of it, but I think I needed like four hints or something. By the end, I was starting to get tired a little bit of some of the puzzles. But uh, for the most part, okay. it was all logical, and uh, there are a lot of different ways to solve several puzzles, which I quite appreciate. Oh, wow. Um, um, out of curiosity, uh, was it relying upon inventory puzzles, or was it more dialogue puzzles? Sometimes, a lot of the time, there would be one puzzle that you could solve with either inventory or thinking outside the box or with dialogue, which is really cool. Wow. And like All three nice. solutions would, would uh, bring you to the same place with the same situation. That's but uh, that's very RPG-ish. It yeah. is pretty RPG-ish, and sometimes it worked out very well, and other times I didn't realize that I had solved a puzzle like that, which would leave me with an oh. inventory item that I was kind of supposed to have used, and it was a, re- a real red herring that steered me in the wrong direction. <laughs> that happened more than once. But overall, very, very good game. I, I was very glad to have played it. I highly recommend Techno Great. Babylon. Oh, and yeah. of course, yeah, I... the, the work by uh, Ben Chandler uh, on the visual side. Between the, the arts and the animations, especially the animations, are so, so, so good. Real oh, attention to detail. I can't wait to and some, He did some new stuff where he has these, like... Um, you, you guys have played Salmon Max, I take it? Yes, absolutely. You bet. So, in Salmon Max, there were a few of these, like, high frame rate animations that they sort of stick into a background. Like, for example, when you're at the, the biggest ball of twine in the world and there's this... Uh, the tram or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cable car. like gondola yeah. sort of a thing, exactly, going up and down. And it's like this hyper, hyper high frame rate kind of an animation. It's like all so 3D it's, rendered. and Yeah, the only 3D rendered thing, but it doesn't look out of place, like, inexplicably, right. which is amazing. That's what Ben right. is starting to do wow. in this wow. game, which adds so much character. And just having this one little element that's animated in this way kind of makes you perceive the whole background in a new light as if it's all alive and you don't really, like you kind of look twice to see like what, this looks so natural, what what else did I miss, what other little detail. <laughs> that's so. great. I, I, that's, a, that's a real, yeah, that's a Ben Chandler uh, uh, style thing because I remember for the first time seeing that actually in uh, Blackwell Epiphany um, and mm-hmm. there's uh, the scene where you, you're just map changing. Um, you've got the uh, background painted with a car uh, with headlights driving down a bridge. And yeah. it's just incredibly high That's frame right. rate, really well done, and it repeats at just the right moments. And oh man, I just thought, you know, what a small touch to add, but it just brings alive an entire scene. Oh, it totally does. Oh, and the other thing that he did that I really appreciated was uh, parallax scrolling. So he would oh. have, he he would have like a three tier thing, for example, where you could go like up three floors, and as you're scrolling sure. from like the bottom floor to the middle floor, there would be like two or three layers of background that either go wow. in front of or behind the scene, oh, and they kind of scroll at a different speed from everything else. So that oh, adds a lot of depth. Oh, that adds a lot of depth as well. Yeah, that's great. Looks great. Oh, it looks great. Good so, job, good Ben. Good job, Ben. Good job, Wajidai. Good job, Ben. Good job. Good job. The name of the person from AGS who wrote the Parallax module. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. and parallax module is a work of art, and you basically don't have to do anything. You plug in a couple of numbers and just say, hey, I want this to scroll at this speed. I want this to scroll at that speed. And it does all the other work. So, yeah, bravo. Beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, a tool is only so much of it. You also have to have people who implement it correctly and mm-hmm. have uh, fitting art that seems like it's in place Absolutely. and just adds to the, the scene. So mm-hmm. good for them. Oh, and cool. since you mentioned inventory puzzles, they do have an inventory puzzle that involves a blue cup. So that was cool, too. <laughs> nice nice reference. I know. Right. Yeah. They don't make a big deal of it either, so good right. for them. So oh, the only crazy. the only thing the only minor quibble I will I will I will have against it is that I I bought the game I haven't played it yet because my plan because I'm dumb and I didn't check is is that I wanted to play it on my MacBook and it is Windows only. Oh, oh yeah, those yeah. AGS games. Yeah, which is no big yeah. deal. I mean, I'm gonna play it on on my my Windows machine that I'm on right now. But I was kind of planning, oh, it'll be the one I, I can I can play the game when I'm like you know somewhere if my wife's using you know the the Windows box, I can play it on my on my laptop. Sure. And so you know unfortunately, that's not the case. But there there is a Mac port of AGS that should play the game back flawlessly. Actually, um, I, it might take a little bit of configuring on your end, but I'm pretty. Oh, it's, I gotta remind myself. I can't remember if. Uh, Wadjadai repacks their games using an external uh, wine wineskin thing. It might be wineskins, mm-hmm. or um, or they might actually be using the native port of AGS, uh, the AGS uh, engine. So yeah, it's probably possible because I think they're using a fairly old version of AGS to make that game. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah, uh, it, it usually it usually like takes them like six months to get out the Mac version of the uh, Wadjadai game. Right, so I mean, I can just you know wait a yeah. little while or whatever, but yeah, Dave Dave Gilbert was just tweeting that he's starting to learn Unity now, so I'm sure oh, that's wow. largely because it'll make his games like cross platform, yeah. cross platform. Yeah, that'll be exactly. like Mac, Windows, Linux, mobile, everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's a, that's a smart way to go. It's probably overdue, that's honestly, that's but they've jump. become yeah. such masters of this antiquated engine that I can see why they'd want to stick <laughs> to it and keep refining it. So yeah, well, that's Techno well, Babylon, anyway. Great. Um, I also started playing a little bit of a couple of games that I played a zillion times before. That would be uh, the expansion to the original Call of Duty called United Offensive, and a little bit of Call of Duty 2 as well. Those, like, first three Call of Duty games are my favorite of the series. They're just perfect shooters with terrific balance, and the graphics still look good to this very day, even though they're, I don't know, they must be, like, 12 or 13 years old or something by now. No kidding. The first ones. Um, Because I've played them so many times... Uh, there's two different things, I guess, going... Well, there's, yeah, there's two different things going on in this playthrough. Number one is that my wife is being a great big jackass while I play and doing <laughs> doing things like, oh, Smithers, the Germans are coming. Oh, it's the Germans. <laughs> or whenever she hears people yelling in, journal, in German, she'll yell things like, ach, mein Strudel. Mein <laughs> <laughs> Lederhosen. So that <laughs> uh, takes a little bit away from <laughs> the... That's that you look on Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly so there's that the other thing is that because I know this game so well and I know a lot of the little exploits and foibles and stuff I figured out somewhere along the line that you can shoot if you kill one of your uh, allies um, by accident then it says you're a traitor to the motherland or whatever and fades you out (laughs) and you lose however you can at least in the first Call of Duty the color of the person's name, like in this little name tag above their head, changes from right. green to yellow to red, depending on how damaged okay. they are. So yep. what I like to do in cutscenes is just like find somebody who's kind of far away, and I shoot him in the foot, one of my allies, and he falls <laughs> over. He's like, ah! And he, he goes from like green to like uh, greenish yellow. And I can basically shoot everyone around me while my captain is blah, blah, blahing, telling me what a great job I've done. Like crippling every single one of my buddies, one after the other. As long as I don't kill them, but I bring them right to the brink of death, it's no problem. So that has absolutely no effect on you being a traitor? 
No, none whatsoever. As long as they don't die. <laughs> you can even shoot the guy who's talking to you. And he you, know, you know what that is? That's, doesn't mind that's too much. like the second biggest dick move next to people who play uh, uh, NHL 91, 92, 93 for the Genesis or the Super Nintendo. And they wait until the referees blown the whistle, and then they start charging and knocking over players in the middle of the cutscene. I did that every set. time. <laughs> oh, I used to do that all the time. I know. So did I. Oh, back in the day, I had uh, I bought. It's because I wanted the Gravis gamepad, uh, which was the most fantastic four-button gamepad. I'm sure I've talked about this before. It came yep, with it this package wonderful. came with two Gravis gamepads, a Y splitter cable for the serial. Port yep. and NHL 95, and I played the hell out of that's NHL right. 95 that's exactly for at least a couple of years. That's exactly how I got it, too. Uh, that's right. I bought, so exactly, I bought mine I so I could play Commander Keen. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that that game really screamed for a console-style gamepad, mm-hmm. didn't it? Yes. Those guys did. All right, so the last one I will mention, because it is the Steam sale, and I'm... Uh, as somebody eloquently put it on Twitter, uh, the Steam sale is about not paying enough for games you don't want. <laughs> However, I lucked out and bought a game that I've been meaning to buy for a while, um, partially because it is half RPG and half pinball, which are both the genres that I love, and oh. also partially because it was a game made in Toronto. It's called Rollers of the Realm. Yeah. Um, that sounds amazing. I have never I heard take of a it. Look at that. It's terrific. It's I I don't know RPG what I was expecting. Pinball? I'm trying to figure out how the hell this even works. So there's, like, dialogue and story and stuff. I'm actually listening to it all. The voice acting and the writing are, like, unreasonably good. There's no reason for this pinball game to have such good story and stuff. I mean, it's not necessarily a good story, but it's well told. And uh, there's a lot of characters. Um, so what's kind of unique about this is, you know, it's as you might expect, you'll, your, your player is a ball. And everybody else okay. is like a human. All the bad guys are humans or monsters or whatever. And you have to use your flippers to hit your ball into those guys, and that's how you damage them. Um, there's, uh, so, and, you, so you ball a bunch of men, and they have to <laughs> Yeah, thank you for bringing that to the highbrow side of things. That's right. So, it's radio. Um, we gotta, we gotta be. You gotta be very honest. <laughs> so you you meet other other characters and they join your party and then um, under certain conditions you can switch to those other characters and like you'll have a healer guy or an archer guy and your ball will like shoot little arrows or it will your flippers can become damaged if the enemies are attacking them so your healer can hit certain things and it uh, repairs your flippers and it's kind of like partially a puzzle game because you have to know which of your characters to use in what context. But uh, it's also that is like a brilliant mashup. I would have never guessed. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It's a brilliant mashup, and it's so easy for that kind of a thing to go wrong because of bad balance or making it tedious or something. And they really got it right. I'm so very impressed. So is there like a campaign mode where you follow a story from beginning to end? There is, and there's also like arena modes where if you just want to play a game of pinball, oh, that sounds great. So that's perfect. So I've been doing the campaign, and it's better than I. It's better than I feared it would be, but it's, like, great. I, oh. I was really worried it would just be something chintzy and cheap, but it's yeah, actually no very, very good. Oh, I, by the way, I, sorry to interject here, but I, I sure. thought of two games that I needed to bring up, but I, I might save them for the point five. I've been playing the Sega Genesis version of Sid Meier's Pirate Gold, which is just ungodly, unfairly good. Wow. Um, oh, cool. It's, like, an incredibly good port of the game. It's very, very good. Hmm. And, I've only ever uh, played it on PC, so... Yeah, that's such yeah. a limited platform. I'm surprised they got it so well. Me too. I was just like, this is it as as good or possibly better than the PC version of the original Pirate. Oh, uh, neato. It's, it's fantastic. Um, 
Yes, and I've also picked up a game, which I was like, oh, I was so disappointed. Okay, I didn't tell the story. So, um, I found this game for sale. It was get, uh, the ad was for Sid Meier's Pirates and for, uh, oh, shoot, what's the name of the other game? Um, uh, Sword of the Samurai by, uh, you heard my girlfriend there. Uh, Sword of the Samurai. Uh, they're both microprose games. And I'm like, oh, my God. Original mm-hmm. boxed copies of Sword of the Samurai. Well, I'm like, I've never really heard of that. But Sid Meier's Pirates, I'm all over it. So, I drive for one hour to go pick up this game and I'm like these two games and I'm so excited it's like 20 bucks and I get there and the guy hands me one box and I'm, he's like yep they're both in there I'm like so the, the pirate game inside of the Sword of the Samurai box and then I look at the Sword of the Samurai box and there's a sticker on it and you can tell this is one of those budget things where it's like now includes a free copy of Sid Meier's Pirates <laughs> oh. I'm like oh Ah, they had to bribe like people a, to buy it, I guess. It must mean this game's really bad. So I I head home and I'm kind of disappointed. I'm like, well, at least it has like the disc and the manual and the map for Sid Meier's Pirates, even if it doesn't have the original box. So that's okay. And then I started reading this other manual for Sword of the Samurai, and I want, like, please, somebody, like, sit down. I, I, I don't have time right now, but somebody sit down and play... Uh, Microprose is sort of a samurai because it easily looks like it'd be the best sleeper RPG game I've ever seen. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm like, why have I never heard this game before? It's like set in like ninth century Japan or something like that. It's like highly realistic. I read the I read the whole manual from beginning to end, and I'm like, it looks like somebody spent like three years researching Japanese culture to pull this off. And you play like you play a samurai whose job it is to kind of like convince the other provinces to join you, and etc. etc. It sounds super political and interesting. So, yeah, I was just like, this is basically Sid Meier's Pirates reimagined as a Japanese samurai game. That yeah. is super cool. Well, I'll stick a mention to this in the show notes anyway. If anybody's yeah, played sure. it, we'd love to I, hear about it. I'd love, yeah, I'd love to hear if anybody's played this. I was just like, how did this, how did this fall off my radar? Uh, because it looked absolutely just gorgeous. Very cool. Hmm. Speaking of yeah, pirate well, games, sorry. the one one that I picked up on uh, on the Steam sale was Sunless Sea, which I haven't gotten around to playing yet. Oh. I hear it's quite good. Oh, cool. I hear it's quite good too. It looks kind of neat. Do you just not leave your pirate ship? Is what it kind of looks I like? I think that's the case. And there's this whole thing about you have to basically eat your crew at certain points because there's no food, <laughs> and it's just it's very like different. Pretty morbid. It looks pretty morbid, but it's uh, wow. it, it, it reviews very well, and I've heard good things about it, so I'm interested to, to try it out. It's, it was one of the daily deals, I think, <laughs> earlier today or yesterday or something. Oh, cool. Oh, well, you'll have to tell us about it when you try it. Sure. Yeah, definitely give us an update. Uh, anything right. else well, on your playlist, Brian? No, nothing else on my playlist, and before time gets away from us, I want to make sure yeah. that we can tackle at least some chunk of our yes, of our, of our topic today. Uh, so uh, today we'd like to uh, continue our discussion of Star Wars games. Um, I think I got halfway through my list or something, just giving a, barely a mention to <laughs> the ones that we did go through. So, uh, Joe, uh, what would you like to uh, talk about first? So the one I, I, I thought it was very important that we talked about was actually the other game that I've been playing this week, which, uh, which is Star Wars Rebellion. Oh, awesome. Rebellion. Which one was this? So Rebellion is sort of like... I don't want to say it's 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 sort of like a 4X type game like you you know you kind of I think uh, it's a, fair, a fairly close description to the gameplay yeah Yeah so you kind of you know control planets like you either play Rebellion or Empire the game takes place basically right after the first Death Star was destroyed 
so after the end of the first movie and uh you know if you're playing rebellion if you're playing the rebels you basically start off and uh you know you have a presence on on yavin 4 where you know the original rebel base was but the uh it's funny because when you start the game each uh each side, they, you either have C-3PO and R2-D2 that help you out. They're kind of your assistants. You're basically like the manager of, right, of right. the forces of the Rebellion and the Empire. Okay. And uh, they give you this, like, five-minute briefing of this is the state of the galaxy. It's, like, really long, and they explain everything, and they explain the goals of the game. But, uh, yeah, as the Rebels, you sort of have your the vestiges of the Rebel base on Yavin. You've moved the, the other, your your primary base to somewhere else on the, on the rim, and I, I believe that's random every time you start a game. And uh, and and basically, the goal of the game is uh, to, if you're the rebels, you have to capture the Emperor and Darth Vader and uh, take control of Coruscant, and that's how you win the game. If you're right. the Empire, you have to capture, I think, Mon Mothma and Luke Skywalker and destroy the rebel base wherever it may be. Wow, that's, so that's a, highly that's canonical. A great structure. I, I really like that. That's like a kind of like a board game structure. It's like you have three very yeah. very clear goals. Hmm. Yeah, and then there's options like you can create a headquarters-only victory if you want, so that would cancel. But it, it's it's interesting because it's kind of like this. It's a 4X game that is also hero-based, so you have all these characters. It's sort of like uh, Crusader Kings. Oh, okay. It, wow. I, I think if you, you can probably compare it a little bit to, to a proto version of, of Crusader Kings. So it's, it's all about, yes, you know, like capturing enemy you know either converting neutral planets to your cause or you know capturing enemy planets either you know via espionage or diplomacy or but through military you know forces and all that and making sure everyone's happy and that you're defending your planets you know versus enemy incursions but you also have all of these star you know canon star wars characters and it, and it goes pretty wide like you know you have on the rebels you'll have like mon mothma and, uh, you know, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca, wow. and then a whole bunch of, like, the generals. Like, you have Wedge, and you have, like, you know, uh, Bren Derlin, who's John Ratzenberger from <laughs> Empire Strikes. Really? Yeah, played by John Ratzenberger. <laughs> He's in the game. That's and, awesome. You know, like, General Maydeen. And uh, you don't start off with all of the, uh, all the heroes, so you actually have to send, like, I think Princess Leia and uh, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Mon Mothma can go to uh, rebel-held planets, and they can recruit. And uh, you basically have to recruit all these heroes wow. until you have them all. Right. That's really cool. Kind of has a bit of a Star Control flavor to it. it yeah. Like. Yeah. And your heroes can like fail missions. They can be captured, and if they're captured, you can break them out of like Imperial strongholds. And and the same on the Empire. You know, you have the Emperor and Darth Vader, and like General Tag, and you know General Maydeen, and or not General Maydeen. He's a rebel, but. But yeah, it's it's just this. It's a very ambitious, very big, and very complex game, and it is it's quite hard. Is one thing I will I will say. But uh, yeah, and I, and it's I, very I, overlooked. I, I remember when it came out; it passed me by. It was during this really weird quiet period where I kind of felt that I don't know Lucasarts had had run their had run their course with the Star Wars game, so I ended up passing on it, and I really regretted that, because I had a few friends who were really, really addicted to Rebellion. Yeah, and it's definitely a game that you have to give give some time to, just to, just, not so much because it's long, because the games themselves can be fairly short, but it's it takes right. time to kind of figure it out, much much like, you know, Crusader Kings, and uh, what's the other one from them? Uh... Anyways, you know, those kind of very grand, it's kind of, it's a grand strategy game, so you really do have to figure yeah, out how to play of, it. I was thinking of maybe like Imperium Galactica 2. Did you guys ever play that? 
No. I didn't either. Uh, yeah, Imperium Galactica was like the same sort of huge spanning universal story uh, 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 kind of gameplay. And uh, hopefully hopefully some of our listeners have played Imperium Galactica. It's one of those funny uh, strategy games where people who love it are really, really love it, kind of just, uh, but, but 99% of the world doesn't play it. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it's uh, kind of on par with, oh, geez, what was that game called? Uh, did you guys ever play Warband? Um, uh, shoot. Uh, no, sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, I've, like I've heard of all of them, but I was never much of a strategy guy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and that's exactly, and that's where where I ended up too. So I wasn't a strategy guy, so I ended up missing out. I think like the last serious strategy game I might have played was uh, uh, oh shoot, what was it called? Space Base from this great little company called the Logic Factory. Uh, Ascendancy was like the last serious uh, uh, strategy game I ever played. And okay. No, cool. Yeah. And and no then, <laughs> right. Yeah. And also, so also in uh, in Rebellion, there's kind of there, there's sort of two games in there because you do do the whole grand strategy thing, but you also have to right. maintain your fleets. So you know, if you're the oh. rebels, you're building like uh, you know Corellian corvettes and dreadnoughts, and eventually Monkel cruisers. Once you kind of you know research, because there's there's a research component as well. Not right. so much. There's not a tech tree per se, but you send people on like research missions, and they discover things. So it's like, oh, we figured out how to make this kind of ship, and we figured out how to do this thing. And, Are there resources to manage? Yes, too? yeah. There's uh, basically uh, there's mines and there's refineries, and you kind of have to balance how many mines you have versus how many refineries you have because you want to process all the ore into useful things and mm-hmm. right. and all that. And there's power. So each planet has a certain amount of available power. So if you take control of a planet, and you know if it has X amount of power, you can only build so many things right. on it. And, you know, you have, very star controlish. Wow. Yeah, so you have the option of building like uh, construction facilities, which can build other facilities. Uh, you have what's it called? Uh, you know, troop training, where you can train you know, you know, naval troops or army troops because you need them to take planets and defend mm-hmm. planets. And you can also and their shipyards, where obviously you build your your star fleet. And um, when wow. when ships do meet over a planet, there's an engagement, and there's. <laughs> There is kind of a, a ship-to-ship combat aspect of the game, but it's actually pretty poor. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to manage. Seems like a very small-scale kind of a combat to have in such a grand game. Well, it's, it's fleet actions, right? So it's, you know, if you have, you know, the Imperials show up with a Star Destroyer and, you know, a couple of other ships and a bunch of fighters, and then you have your defending rebel ships or the other way around, you can control the... You can tell the, you know, the, each ship where to go and how to attack and... and and all that and it's but generally what you do after you've done it once and realize how horribly difficult it is to to control anything (laughs) you just click simulate battle and it does it and then based on you know dice rolls yeah yeah that's good so you don't have to do that oh that's interesting I was kind of wondering if it would make you play by manual the whole time no no yeah there's a simulate battle button so basically I think they realized that uh, that the ship combat wasn't (laughs) all they wanted it to be Mm -hmm. because yeah it's, it's pretty clunky and so, yeah, you just simulate it, it runs through, and then it, it says, based on, you know, stats and roll, dice rolls, you know, who, who won and who survived. And, or you could just run away. I mean, there is that option as well, which is the Rebels you do quite often. Hmm. Oh, so who are you playing as? Well, you can choose. So you can play either side, and mm-hmm. uh, it, either side has its advantages. Like, the Empire will start off controlling a few more planets, they have a bit more resources, but, they, but you basically have to defend Coruscant. Like that's the advantage. I love of- the idea that your role is like 
middle manager of the empire. That's basically it. And you like send <laughs> you send the emperor on missions. Really? What? That's, yeah, yeah, because the emperor is wow. like your top diplomat, right? So if you really want to get a planet into the fold, you send the emperor. <laughs> so he has a very like, like all the I, characters have stats, right? So each each character has like a you know a command score and an espionage score and a diplomacy score, and so some of them are better at each of these things, and so you send them on these different missions. And so the emperor is I very love the high. Idea in, of the emperor getting captured. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, you have to capture him to to win the game as the rebels. Hmm. That's great. Wow. Yeah, and so the one advantage that the rebels do have over the empire is that the the rebels can move their base. Uh, oh, interesting. I, so it's kind of like your king, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So the empire is stuck because you know they can't leave Coruscant. So you have to basically defend up Coruscant, put all kinds of planetary defenses on it, keep a fleet there at all times. The rebels, if basically Imperials enter, you know the the sector that your base is in, you can up and move somewhere else. Like they don't even have to come right wow. to the planet. So. As if you're playing as the Empire, that becomes very frustrating, because out of curiosity, can you build? Does that mean then you can build Death Star? Yes, you can actually build Death Stars. And actually, my one of my friends oh that used to play it a God. lot, he would he would find a way to build like three Death Stars. Like it's very difficult. It's very expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he'd have like a, he'd have like two or three of them, like at the expense of That's building awesome. anything else. And uh, and the Death Star was actually interesting because it was kind of a double edged sword, because obviously it was immensely powerful. <laughs> It's forever under construction, never complete, and you know one little one little match sets it on fire. Right. Yes. Well, and you do have to keep it well defended because yes, you can like launch a fighter attack on the Death Star and destroy it. <laughs> wow. Oh my God, that's awesome. Glass cannon. Yeah, but also if you do use it, so this is the problem. The main problem with the Death Star is that yes, if you move it into a sector that is kind of undergoing uprising, it will lower right. the uh, you know it'll make you, it'll make the people more more compliant, shall we say. Hmm. But if you do actually use it to destroy a planet, uh, it will, you know, obviously make that planet that's under uprising or if it's an enemy planet, it will destroy it. But all of your loyal planets will become less loyal to you. Oh, oh neat. That's your WMD. Yeah. So you'd like you can't overuse <laughs> it because you'll just lose control of, 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 of all of your all of your loyal planets. That's a very clever uh, way to balance the, really the, uh, the combat mechanics. Yeah, I mean, it's, it it's honestly, it's one of those diamond in the rough games that a lot of people haven't played. And I will admit that the, the UI is, is clunky. It, it's hard to yeah. do things at times, and it's hard to keep track of everything. But I think it's worth it. I, like, it's, it's a good game. I think I, I, that sounds like a good sell to me, because I love that they anticipated they would have, you know, jerk players like me that would treat the Death Star like the crystalline entity and just go around wiping out planets. Right, it's like, <laughs> Rebel Planet, die. Rebel Planet, die. Oh, you, you're not as, you're not 100% loyal? Die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll teach you guys a lesson. Oh, that sounds amazing. Holy cow. Yeah. I, I didn't realize there was that much depth in the gameplay. It's One a of the very deep game. It. But, yeah, but it's wow. definitely, like, you have to read some, read, and uh, you can get the manual. It's, it, it came out on GOG with all this uh, flood of Star Wars games. Sure. So, you, so you can get it there, and it's. I think the manuals. The manual's over a hundred pages. Wow! And you do you do have to read it. Oh, I'm looking at the page on GOG now, and they say that the they just say company. It doesn't say developer or publisher. It just says company sure. is Lucasfilm slash Disney. I am assuming oh. that if they say Lucasfilm, then it's old enough that Disney wasn't involved. Oh no! This yeah. this was a ninety. Six? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this was oh, a, this was really like 98? prime time. Yeah, yeah. It was a Windows ninety. It was a Windows ninety five ninety eight game. 
Mm. Oh, that's funny. I must have. Wow, that's funny. I had in my head maybe 2002, 2003. See. Oh, no, it was definitely older than that. I mean, it, it probably oh, came wow. out in all those LucasArts, you know, uh, Star Wars <laughs> vault pack yeah. and all that. So you may have seen it around then as well. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard of this game before, honestly. It doesn't sound familiar to me at all. Oh, it's... I'm looking at it, I don't remember ever looking at this. Yeah, if you're, if you're into strategy, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a diamond in the rough game. I'm not into strategy, and I was able back in the day to be reasonably okay at it. I was never good at it. I think I may have won a game once. <laughs> like, it's yeah, hard, are, it's, like, and it's relentless. With, with That's the, the thing. Is, is there, let's say, is there any... Because some of the best strategy games I've played are actually make losing fun. Like, is there, is there any benefit to actually getting to see a, a bad ending or anything like that, or is it just kind of game over? Uh, I can't remember, honestly. At this point, yeah, I've played I'm it a bit, to... but I haven't played to the end of a game as of yet. Okay, mm. okay. That's what I was curious about. But uh, yeah, and, and that's the thing is that the pace of this game is relentless. Like it's real time. Oh, I mean, there is a pause, but once you, you if you pause the game, sure. you can't really do anything. But and there's you know oh, very wow. slow, slow, medium, and fast. But even at slow, stuff just keeps happening and happening. Like you really have to like you have to keep all your characters on missions at all times. You have to keep pr- all your production stuff like running at top efficiency, right, right, and all that. Like e- even on easy mode, it's a pretty challenging game. Wow. That sounds that sounds like a great diamond in the rough. I don't know. I I don't. I think you're the only person, other than a couple of personal friends of mine, that I know had actually even heard of Rebellion. And I think it was called something else in the UK. Oh, I think it might have been. Oh, I can't remember now. I have to look it up. But yeah, it was called Rebellion in uh, in North America for sure. And I'm trying to look up what it was called, like Star Wars Aftermath or something like that. Oh, weird. It had, it had a totally different name. Huh. Yeah, that doesn't sound familiar to me either. Sorry, Star Wars, Star Wars Supremacy is what it was called in, in the UK. Okay. Wow. Which, which is almost a better name. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's a little more specific. Yeah, a little more descriptive as to, you know, you are kind of trying to achieve supremacy as opposed to saying rebellion because you could also play the Empire. Anyways, whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes Star Wars <laughs> Rebellion kind of describes every Star Wars thing ever. Yeah. It's like if there's no rebellion, it's not really Star Wars. That's right. It's just stars. And it also had multiplayer. So that was... Yeah, I figured it must. It does seem very board gamey, so I'm sure it must have... I'm sure it's the same thing. Yeah, because apparently once you got decent at the game, you could outwit the AI pretty easily, like once you figured out what it wasn't good at. Mm -hmm. When people say where the game really shines is when you're playing uh, kind of head-to-head multiplayer. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds amazing. I don't don't know if my friends actually ever made... I'm, I'm thinking if it's 1998 that that's kind of a weird time for multiplayer because it's in the transition period in between PC, PIP, and modem play. Yeah. Um, I'm, wa- I'm wondering if it had a modem play mode. I'm, I'm pretty sure it did. And also, it, it's not like this was a... It's wow. turn-based, right? It's not like this was a Twitch game, so it didn't matter. Yeah, right. If the connection... I thought you said it was real-time. It's real-time, but it's like kind of... Yeah, sorry, I didn't... I, I said it was turn-based. That's wrong. It is real-time, but it's not like... An FPS, right? So yeah, sure, right. Sure, right, it's right. not sending strategy. That's, that's actually like an interesting challenge. Is like, how the hell do you do? Um, well, anyway, that's a that's a really cool challenge for somebody in the programming and stuff. I was just thinking about you know um, a semi-synchronous <laughs> kind of asynchronous uh, game where you have to manage a whole lot of data back and forth if it's real time. That's pretty cool. That's way ahead of its time for 1998. That's for sure. 
Oh yeah, no, it was definitely definitely an ambitious project, and it didn't do everything perfectly, but it's it's definitely a unique game. Sure sounds like. That's cool. Yeah. So that's the value. Cool. Uh, do you want to do you want to take another one, uh, Joe? Just want to make sure we get. Uh, oh, we can roll through. Let's roll through some of your guys stuff. Yeah, we're I mean, we're probably going to talk about the same stuff. Yeah. Okay. Shall I take one? Sure. All right. Uh, one that we mentioned briefly the last time we chatted, and I had to make sure that we discussed was episode one racer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is a really this is a strange game. I mean, it's a racing game, and it had a lot in common with. Wipeout Excel, I guess you might say, just in sure. that you're like this yeah. hovering space exactly. car um, so- going way to too fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I played this. I rented it the very first time on N64, and <laughs> I think this is probably the best racing game that I played on N64. Wow, even um, better than Mario Kart? Definitely. Wow. I, never, I don't know why I never had all that much love for Mario Kart on N64. I liked it better on other platforms. But this was a really, really good one. And you had to manage... I think it was because of the analog controls. Right. Because that's something that Mario Kart didn't really, it didn't really take true. advantage of. In this one, as I recall, you had to like not just use left and right, but also up and down. And it kind of helped you manage... I forget if it was your angle or your speed yeah. or some little nuance, something like that. But you had to... Watch out for the the health of your you, your car was like you're kind of strapped to these two side by side like long jet engine sort of things and yeah, they're kind exactly. of like horses and you're in the chariot in the the middle behind it and uh, didn't you have like a little R two D two behind your head I can't remember oh uh, maybe I don't I remember not that sure did, it's been too long uh, like basically this was this was depicting the the pod racing from from episode yeah, one yeah exactly right yeah that's yeah. right. Um, it had a really good variety of levels and challenges and difficulties and stuff like that. There was quite a bit of scenery that you got to see, and even on the N64, it was surprisingly good looking. There was a lot of like alien, glowy kind of rocky landscapes, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, I don't know. It just had a really good variety to it. Now, this game I, I also once played in the arcade. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. I forgot there was a sit-down version of it. Oh, oh and it's yeah. a crazy sit-down version. It had, I, as I recall, it had, like, two big, like, throttle kind of joysticks that you would have hold one in each hand. It was just, like, kind of holding the reins uh, as they do in the movie. Well, that's say. it. It seems like they were trying to reproduce that, that, that the controls that Anakin was holding. And they did a great job did, of it. Didn't that have, it was, like, a It was huge... too expensive to play too much in the arcade, though. I think it was, yeah. like, a buck of play for a minute I or want something. to say it was a buck of play, and it also didn't have, like, a huge, like... It wasn't LCD, but some sort of projector screen. Like, I remember it having a very large screen in front of it. Oh, it did, didn't it? Uh, Something like that, I guess. Yeah, because I remember having two or three of these lined up in a row, and at the arcade, you could could have, actually, like, uh, several players down in the same pod race. Right. It did have an especially big screen, now that I think of it. Yeah, I just remember it being uh... ungodly expensive. Mm-hmm. Now there was a PC version too, I think. Yes, yes, there was. Yes, I was, was one that Windows, I, I yeah. definitely pirated the PC version. <laughs> I don't know where you get this thing anymore. This thing kind of disappeared. I don't think I don't this. Yeah, I don't think this is available right now. Yeah, what a oh, shame. Because this is just screaming for a PC version. Because the N sixty four one, it was low resolution and it was a very weak uh, platform, and so the frame rate got pretty low. And because your speeds are so much faster than most other racing sure. games, that frame rate really got in your way. Like, I, I just kind of I, hit a wall. I wonder if Disney didn't get this because it was published. It was published by LucasArts, but it was also published directly by Nintendo. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So on on wiki on Wikipedia here it says published by LucasArts and Nintendo. So it's possible that Nintendo wow. still hold, holds rights to it. That is strange. Yeah. So so am, am I totally imagining things? There was not ever a PC version. No, no, there was. There was. Oh, there was. Okay, okay, but okay, I wonder okay. if if it was it's licensed. Yeah, I wonder oh, if it was okay. licensed by Nintendo because I'd be surprised if it was available. If because this was a Windows game, I know with releasing them on GOG and stuff, these ones are the challenging ones to, to get working on modern systems. Right. Because they're on, you know, yeah, 9X yeah. and they're using old DirectX and OpenGL and all this other stuff. Yeah, this might even have been a Rage or Voodoo or something like that. Yeah, so... I, around that I time. Was trying to, well, what I was trying to draw, jog in my memory was, what year was this? Because 99. I... 99, yeah. oh man. This is like that weird transition period where I had like, I think, oh boy. Uh, I had maybe by this point gotten rid of the Diamond Monster 3D and went on to a full Voodoo 2, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was in a really weird transition period for 3D, that's for sure. Yeah, kind of that so area like, from like 98-ish to like, you know, 2000, what, 3 or 4? That was kind of yeah. a weird time for, for 3D. I don't even know if... Yeah, the, the glide days. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I but, but I specifically remember this running in Windows, so it would be non-glide. I'm guessing it would be direct 3D of some kind. Yeah, they usually had that. They had two or three different renderers usually. Yeah, you could yeah. choose. Because it also depended a lot on what card you had, right? Yeah, exactly. that's, that was true more than ever back then. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what cards. I, I really remember that it stressed my graphics card out to its maximum. I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, wow, this game is actually like got super high system requirements. Um, at the time, I would actually be using an AMD K62300, if you guys remember the K6 line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And uh, I had overclocked it to maybe 366 or something, but I do remember that I played... I, I, I played... Um, the pod racer game on my Windows machine, and it was basically pushing it as far as it could handle at that point. And I think <laughs> like I'm not quite a slideshow, but behind. almost. <laughs> yeah, like I remember, mm. I remember like being so disappointed I couldn't crank up the graphics all the way. Yeah, mm. I remember. I remember. I think I played maybe five or six races, and I was like going pretty well. And then I hit a wall in this game. There was one race that I just could not pass. I had this problem where I was I had a keyboard only at that point, so the game really, really needed a joystick or some sort of analog control. Mm-hmm. And it kind of did. There was so much nuance. Yeah, there was. It was like it was because like they're very floaty controls. Like you, you kind of coast and you keep coasting. Uh, you keep a little bit of inertia when you you hit right, and it just yeah, it kind of started to suck playing it on the keyboard. And I think that was actually my biggest limitation. Uh, it sort of had. It kind of somehow evoked this feeling of you being pulled. By these huge rockets, yeah. not really like you're steering, but you're kind yeah, of at their exactly. mercy, which is really neat. Mm. I totally remember now uh, that you mentioned Joe hitting a wall because uh, now that I'm thinking more of it, there were some parts where like it would be easy to get around certain corners if only you could go more slowly. But then there'd be like three little turns or something, and then there would be a huge jump, and you had to be going a minimum speed, <laughs> otherwise you would just die instantly. And, yeah, really punishing one. I'd love to see this one again. Now, I'm like super sure yeah. it didn't support it, but this seems like one a, a game that would be cool to play with like a dual stick setup, just because of the way the arcade oh, controls yeah, were. Sure. I was exactly. thinking um, how cool it would be on like a mobile phone with like tilt controls or something. Yeah, oh, I, I mean, I always find tilt controls a little bit janky, but yeah, yeah. I'd be hard to pull off. But I think it's it's interesting that they'd be kind of suited just to the kind of movement that your ship had. 
Like, I think it would have been cool if on the N64 version, if you could put, you know, player one, player two, like have both controllers and just play with the, the two analog sticks. <laughs> I like that. It's like to, I'm two trying player to remember whether that might have actually been possible. I feel like there was a there was a game that did that. I don't think it was this that, one. It might have been the one, honestly. Now that you mention that, that sounds horribly familiar. And maybe that's what I liked about the control. No, I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember now. I'd, 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 I'd say Anatoly could correct game, you guys, but brilliant. yeah, I'd say Anatoly oh, would correct you guys, but that's a uh, pound, not DOS. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we dare not invoke that. <laughs> that's about. Uh, I, I wish first. I. Yeah, I. I wish I had, I had looked more into this one because I did enjoy this one a lot. But it's one of those that I rented. I think I rented it more than once, and it really, it really blew me away. And then I bought it. And I sort of regretted buying it because I couldn't really get a lot farther than I did when I had rented it. Oh, mm-hmm. so you got the N64 version. You, you actually bought a copy yeah. of it? Oh, wow. I did. I still have it. Oh. I have all my old console games. Oh, you know what? Hmm. The N64 version of that game, didn't it come with a rumble pack? Or it came with, a, it came with the, or, it needed the, it to use the, ex, the expansion pack to the display, uh, pack. Yeah, to display right. oh, was that uh, textures. Yeah, Oh, exactly. it was like that little thing that sits between it the jam- console and the... Yeah, on the front. And then the cartridge. Yeah, it plugs That's into the bottom of the controller. There was two. There was there was an expansion pack that went right into the console on the front oh, okay. lid. Right, right. And, and that gave you the texturing. Uh, the rumble pack and the memory card went into the controller. Yes, um, that's it. And I really, really specifically mm. remembering one or two games needed it really badly. Zelda, uh, I think it was Ocarina of Time, uh, really benefited from the expansion pack. And and Star Wars Episode One Racer. Uh, and I remember being, like, happier than a pig in shit because 10 years ago or five years ago, I found an N64 that still had the expansion pack stuffed into it because they're really hard to come by now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so, awesome that, that you can, like, you basically had to, like, buy more RAM for your game console. <laughs> yeah. That used I to be it, a real thing, just give, these extensible consoles where they would, like, after the fact, come up with this little hacky way to add just a tiny bit more horsepower to it. It's so funny that that was ever a necessity. Yeah, well, I even remember on, like, my PS2 at one point, I had, I was playing, I th- it must have been, like, a, one of the fi- later Final Fantasies that were on the PS2. And I had to, like, go <laughs> into the... Yeah, I had to, like, Sorry, go into the don't? settings and lower 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 the, uh, not the resolution, but basically the detail, like, on the console level. <laughs> oh, wow. Run the game, That's like, crazy. smoothly. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't know wow. that was a thing on consoles. The PS2 had it for some reason. It was super weird because I, I think my friend showed it to me. I'm like, and it was just in the options, like buried somewhere. And I'm like, why? Why does this exist? Oh right, wow. they had like a texture clarity or anti-aliasing yeah. thing or something like that. Yeah. That's right. That's that was really peculiar. Holy cow. I don't remember it having any performance uh, hit. I guess maybe it did, or maybe the games that I played. I don't. It was like one game. I think it was like Final Fantasy X or, or nine or something like that. Like one. I think it was a Final mm-hmm. Fantasy for some reason. Wow. But yeah, it was super that's, weird. That's, well, it I was reading, reading recently um, in Retro Gamer, they had a uh, issue about the Sinclair Spectrum, I think, or one, one mm-hmm. of the Sinclair machines, the ZX80 or 81, and they were saying it was really, really brilliant copy protections. Somebody realized that um, he wanted he didn't want his game pirated, or the company didn't want their games pirated, so they would actually sell you a 32K dongle that had to go on the back of your machine in order to play their games, which would simultaneously act as a 32K RAM expansion uh, for your, your system. And I was just like, that is so brilliant, because it gave you an extra 32K of memory space to address, 
as well as, you know, basically force the player to never be able to pirate your games without owning the dongle. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a neat idea. Like, Gives it a hardware brilliant. requirement, yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. It's like forced, and you, and you can only buy it from that one company. Yeah, that's neat. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's all I have to say about that one anyway. Um, Chris, I know that you're you're on the go. Do you have any uh, games on your list that you can think of? Um, the one I was, I was, I, I didn't want to pull out my notebook, so I was, did I bring up Star Wars Battle Chess last time? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think, think so. Talked about it, I never we? played that one, but it sure looked awesome. I remember oh, like looking God, at it in magazine so screenshots. Joe, did you have a chance to play Star Wars Battle Chess ever? Battle Chess or Battlefront? Uh, Battle Chess. Oh, Battle Chess. Uh, no, I never played it. So maybe you should tell us. Oh, about it. oh, it was, it was really good. Um. I, I found that one a few years ago, and I was really excited. It's um, from Software Toolworks, if you guys remember that weird little company. Yeah, um, they did the original Battle Chess too, didn't they? They did, yeah. And they also published Loom originally on CD, if anybody actually can believe that. Really? Um, wow. Yeah, the, the, the LucasArts Loom CD version is actually by Software Toolworks. Um, <laughs> oh, they like, like, farmed it out. a weird publishing arrangement. Um, yeah. But Star Wars Battle Chess, is, it's fantastic. So it's Battle Chess. You basically have, you know... Um, your knights and your queen and your your rooks and all of that on the chessboard. However, what they do is they give you, um, they swap out all of these roles for traditional Star Wars roles. So you have, um, I'm trying to remember, I remember R2-D2 took the space of, uh, I think it was... Looks like he's a pawn. I'm looking at a screenshot yeah, now. Was he, was he really a pawn? Wow, I didn't realize there'd be so many of them on the screen. Um, and Seems to be. Yeah, yeah they are. I re- I remember that the, the animation, it was all in 640 by 400. And so it was like super high-res EGA, I want to say, um, mm-hmm. which, which is always a weird mix, right? It's like high-res EGA always looks a little funny because they have to do tons of dithering to pull off the colors. Um, yeah, because it's like very and, kind of primary yeah. color kind of looking. Exactly, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I remember the board is very blue. There's like a lot of, they make use of, use of a lot of blues in this. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. it's yeah, almost it's monochromatic in that. Yeah. Blues and grays, yeah. It's, it's very monochromatic. And the, the, the big payoff, though, is like the animations are so awesome. If you want to see like the best high-res EGA animation, it's in Star Wars uh, uh, Battle Chess. I think it might just be called Star Wars Chess, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, Star Wars um, Chess, that's what I'm looking at. Star okay. Wars Chess, yeah. And, uh, but it's definitely the Battle Chess people. And, uh, oh, my God. It's the same it's, game, basically, as Battle Chess. It's the it same really gimmick. Is. There is absolutely no difference. Um, I think it added, though, a modem play, which was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, mm. You know, considering the age of the game, modem play is pretty sweet. Um, mm. Oh, I'm getting a, I'm getting a food run here. This is beautiful. Thanks, honey. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah. Looking so, at the screenshot, by the way, it's reminding me. I, I suspected this, and looking at the screenshot confirms it. How creeped out I was by. <laughs> looking at the uh, magazine screenshot and realizing that the king and queen on the rebel side are, of course, Luke and Leia. <laughs> yeah. Well, and on the empire side, the king and queen are the emperor and Darth Vader. <laughs> so these are like kind of loosey-goosey, like San Francisco marriages here. Hey, well, I guess there's no, there's no uh, in movie canon, there's, there's no like the... female imperials, right? So... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It could be a medieval thing, you know. They, they, they're just married, oh, right. married, married out of political uh, allegiance, not for, for the sake of having kids. It's funny. I'm actually <laughs> watching a video of it and uh, on YouTube, and the animation kind of reminds me of uh, of the, what, what's the the guys that did the old Lord of the Rings cartoon. Oh, uh, uh, oh, jeez. Um, 
Um, that was um, the guy who did Prick the Cat. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember his name now. Oh, uh, uh, crap. And he but, did Cool World. Yeah, but either way, I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me of that style of animation. Like, it's very smooth, very detailed, but not like it's still very kind of like flat primary color kind of a thing. Exactly. That's, that's, right. ex- that's exactly Ralph it. Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Bakshi. Ralph Bakshi. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, he's actually like an amazing animator. Although, I think oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings, if I remember correctly, actually used a lot of rotoscoping, which looks really, really weird. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the animation's just fun. Some of the, uh, you know, like when you have R2-D2 destroy Darth Vader, like they, they individually animated every single possible encounter you can have in the game, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that's like, that's pretty brilliant. I mean, yeah. a lot of hand, hand, handicraft kind of animation, which is really cool. Like I just saw uh, on this video, I just saw 3PO kill Boba Fett. And basically, Boba Fett tries to shoot 3PO. <laughs> he misses. 3PO that's grabs right. the gun, drops it on the ground, and it shoots Boba Fett in the face. <laughs> oh, that'd be a great way for him to go. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's oh my beautiful. god, I love it. That's that's how that's, the, that's how that encounter should have actually happened. Yeah, no, um, I mean this is this, this is well done. There's some like notable, there's some notable missing stuff though. It would have been awesome to have a Greedo character on the map. Yeah, I don't think that there's, there's no like, Han either. I think, or is there? There's no Han. Yeah, exactly. There's there's some like notable missing characters, and it's. You know, obviously they had to make some sacrifices with who they could include, but it would have been fun if they would have had like a, a second, uh, a second alternate character set to use. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be yeah, cool. Yeah, this that was, uh, I, that was a really good game, and I think it was really overlooked because Software Toolworks. Oh, by the way, Brian, you know who else? Yeah. Uh, what else? Software Toolworks published that you? I know you're just in love with. Was What's that? Uh, uh, Life and Death. Oh, I do love that game. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have interesting <laughs> memories of that game. <laughs> Interesting memories is a good Our, way to put it. I wasn't very Our, academic in that game. No. <laughs> uh, I just absolutely love that game. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, I, could, yeah, I, I could spend a whole podcast talking about Life and Death. <laughs> oh, I wish they had Star Wars Life and Death. Imagine. Have <laughs> people open like, a lightsaber. I, I thought he smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, that's great. Uh, Joe, how are you for time? I, 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 can give, I can give you another half hour. Let's go for it. Okay, that's fantastic. That's awesome. All right. Well, I, I think it's. Uh, I think you're back up to bat then, Joe. What have you got for us? Uh, did either? Did, we didn't talk about Galaxies last time, did we? No, we didn't. And I would no, love we didn't. to talk about that. Yeah, game. and did you? Because I did not play Galaxies, so I want to bring it up because I want to. I want to hear. I've heard so much interesting, good and bad, and sideways stuff about it so i i want to i want to hear what you guys ha- have to say about it oh i played it very little me too um, I, I i didn't play it a whole lot so you you go ahead brian and i'll i'll chirp in when i can okay well the very first thing that comes to mind when someone mentions galaxies is this like new this series of news articles that came out about the people who were trying to become the very first jedi right so uh, there were like two different iterations of the Star Wars Galaxy MMO. There was the original one, and then the bad the, one. <laughs> yeah, then the bad one. Then they kind of rehashed it and turned it into something a little bit differently. So in the original one, it was kind of like a day in the life of Star Wars, where you would pick kind of a mundane character class, is my, what I'm uh, kind of understanding, and then you would kind of go through the day-to-day things of uh, 
of uh, traveling to different places and either like being a farmer or uh, have or hunting things for their pelts or whatever. It was you know kind of MMOE, but a slower sort of a pace, and especially so if you wanted to become a Jedi, because you know in the newer version of Galaxies, Jedi was one of the starting. It was a class, roles. right? Yeah. Just, yeah, That's it was right. a class. You just start a new a new character, and like five clicks later, you're a Jedi. Whereas in the original one, you had to go through this long, long series of quests and challenges and things yep. that I think actually took real time that you had to wait for. And I think because you had to like find holocrons and stuff, and yeah, it was just really grindy, from what I understand. Something that only a really dedicated person would do. So I remember reading an interview with the guy who was the very first Jedi in all of Star Wars Galaxies. And wow, <laughs> how much media attention was uh, lavished on this one guy? Um, I played it. I played a demo, and I hated it in like twenty-five minutes or so. <laughs> Of the original one, and then I tried the new one, and I played a demo, and I hated it in 27 minutes, and I didn't come back to it until it was about to die off. They canceled this this That's MMO, right. and when uh, uh, when could it... when uh, Old Republic started. Oh, that's right, yes. Oh, and they actually did make it free-to-play, didn't they? Yeah. But even that wasn't enough to get my attention, and so I... uh, joined it when it went uh, I joined it right at the very end when they were about to shut down the servers and I tried to make a, a character and to get high enough to go to the common areas where uh, everybody was going to be when the world ended and I couldn't figure out how to get there so I just watched it on some live YouTube scre- stream or something and people were so like wistful and and remembering all their good times and all the the general me- like the the game managers were on spawning all these awesome gigantic creatures <laughs> and they had a zillion people all in one zone and the servers could barely keep up with it but uh, for like an enemy that would usually be like a twenty person encounter they had like seven hundred people attacking it and killing it in three seconds that was just <laughs> really cool so the whole the whole place was littered with these enormous corpses. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Skipping I, around I, because those are my few memories. Right. But uh, it's that's, funny that's you say you were you were in Star Wars Galaxy at the same time as me because I also was I was in for uh, Day of Shutdown, um, and it was more just so I could just say that I was there. I was there when it shut down. Um, right. But it had been around for quite a while by that point, hasn't it? Been like five or six years. I think it was. It, oh, it's oh three to that, uh, to twenty eleven. Wow. Oh, yeah, wow. Eight years. That, wow. That's longer than I thought. Geez. I remember when it first came out, I was actually more excited about it when it first came out because it um, it was kind of the game... Okay, so when it came out, I was so sick of battle-based... Um, like, I was so burned out on Ultima Online and WoW and stuff like that, and I just didn't want to grind anymore. And so I was really excited that, you know, the people who made Star Wars... So this is a weird story. Um, I've mentioned several times on the podcast that I was friends uh, with a bunch of people on IRC. And we were people who were around since the Ultima Online days, uh, pre-Alpha, so 1995. Mm. And um, well, these are the people you said you kept in touch with and played different yeah, games with. Exactly, we'd play a lot of games, we'd stay in touch. And one of the big things we did was um, we'd always have a lot of ex-Origin developers hanging out in our channel. Um, they would just kind of stick mm. around for whatever reason, but they'd move around company to company to company. And one of the guys, his name's Dan. Um, he was a really, really fantastic, wonderful guy. Um, he actually was the guy that I uh, that we together re- restarted Home of the Underdogs a few years ago. Um, mm. He uh, moved on to Sony Online Entertainment after he was done at Origin. And um, he was really excited because he said, you know, what, what we want to do with Galaxies is 
create an actually social online game um, where it's organized around crafting, where it's organized around, um, you know, just, just being in the same physical space as other players and not grinding, grinding yourself to death on monsters. And, and I remember he was really, really specific about it because he got hired as a, uh, like a lead designer or something like that, or maybe not lead, but pretty major world designer over at Sony at that time. And I remember he was really sad because the game was kind of hand. Uh, people people didn't actually like that it was very, very different from the other games at first. Mm-hmm. So um, I got a little bit of experience. I actually just remember, I think I was at Twi'lek or Twi'lek. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, and I remember running around. I think I was a cook or something. And uh, running around and doing a bunch of... It was the first game I ever saw dancing in, which I right. thought was really fun. And mm-hmm. uh, dancing to me like, was like a big thing in that game. Um, and then, yeah, I was uh, unfortunately, Dan moved on to a job for another company, I think in Norway or Scandinavia somewhere. And when, when he moved on, I just kind of said, oh, well, there's so much... It's not, not a lot of fun anymore because one of the nice things about being friends with him was um, he was the guy who pushed everything to the test servers and um, you you know basically just say hey I'm going to be rebooting the test server in five minutes if you want to jump on I'll give you a bunch of free loot if you if you don't mind testing stuff for me and uh, <laughs> it was actually like a lot of the fun for me was actually just basically almost being like a live beta tester all the time or just seeing seeing what would break and it was a lot of fun so my memories of Galaxies weren't really just playing the game, but more actually just being a lame little beta tester for a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And, um, yeah. It was oh, just- you know, you mentioning the you mentioning the developers reminds me of something else uh, that I read or heard on a podcast, maybe related to yeah. the whole First Jedi situation. That sure. was from one of the developers who played the game just for enjoyment as well, as all yep. of the developers were encouraged to do. Um, this developer, I think he was like the second guy to become a Jedi. He really wanted to become the first Jedi, but he wanted to do it in a non-standard way by kind of gaming the system. And so what he figured out was he found this one route where people would invariably travel. Like, a, a, it was a road between okay. one busy place and another. And he, like, set up a shop on that road so that everyone was guaranteed to run past there and like their pockets were always full and they always needed provisions and so he would sell them and he amassed this enormous fortune just by sitting in the same place for like three months location 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 exactly (laughs) so he almost almost was the first jedi he almost pulled it off but the other guy was just more dedicated that's unbelievable so he i thought that was cool he's like he's like that lone gas station in the middle of like nippagon uh winnipeg or (laughs) Like yeah, that's that. right. The one that's twenty three cents more than <laughs> exactly. every other one. It's like don't even discount it. gas. One and eight tenths a gallon. Um, yes, that's right. It's the quickie mark. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, that just reminded me of something else. Shit, what was it? Um, it was crap. Um, oh my god, I can't remember now. Something to do with Galaxy. Sorry I'll, for I'll, you. I'll after. remember later. Right. That's. Um, I really was sad when Galaxy disappeared just because I wanted. Um, by then, Noman had came up with a good server emulator, and I don't think that they, anybody successfully emulated the game. Uh, do you guys happen to know if anybody's managed to get it back online? Uh, there is an open source project, I think. Oh, I th- really? Yeah, I think I had come across it a couple months ago, and I'm trying to think it's called, like, oh, what's it called? Star Wars. Uh, SWG Emu. 
wow, that's mm. fantastic. I didn't realize that somebody had been working on it. So that's like a shard kind of a thing? I think so, yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but I do remember coming oh. across it a while back. I just remembered the story. Um, the, the Dan guy, um, as soon as you said shard, I, I remember the story. Um, <laughs> huh. Dan coined a term uh, that apparently was used internally at uh, uh, Sony Online Entertainment. They called it. They all called it internally TTC uh, around their managers, I'm guessing, but it's TTT, uh, TTC stood for time to clock. And it was just on Dan's blog several years ago. I don't know what happened to his blog, but I remember he was describing in this detail. He says, what, what is TTC, you ask? Time to clock means the uh, average half-life between when a player get into the world and somebody constructs a huge wang in the middle of the universe. Uh, <laughs> and he says nice. every single every single MMO he's ever worked on has had that as a feature of the game. It's like taking bets on the TTC of this realm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, players. So yeah, this SWG EMU thing, it's actually, uh, so it's, it's, it's not that, you know, Sony open sourced the code or anything. They're actually reverse engineering it. That's usually wow. the way it goes when they try to resuscitate uh, an extinct MMO. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible. They did that for WoW as well. Yeah. And, which seems amazing. And it looks like it's it's active. There's, uh, you know, the last update on the site is from today. Wow. So wow. It's, it's actively going on. Well, I know the Star Wars Galaxy players are really dedicated. Like, I, in, in a way that I think even WoW players are not as dedicated to that. I think they kind of know. It's, it's kind of like buying a Volkswagen. Like you know, you know it's going to have electrical problems no matter what you do. But you're going to love it to death anyway. <laughs> exactly, but you so, you want you want it. <laughs> exactly, you want it. It's, 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 it's your little kid, you know. It's good. Well, yeah. So um, that's that's really cool. I'm really glad to hear that. You guys just made me think about like a, an awesome idea for an open source project, which would be. Do you remember uh, EA? They have this famous. Uh, history of closing down all of their console um, sports games. So, you know, if you oh, buy, yeah. like NBA 2010, um, the servers are only live for a year or two and they shut it down before you have forced to upgrade. You talk as if this is a past tense thing. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when EA did yeah. that? Yes, I remember it from... Do you, do you remember when EA was actually evil? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's their MO, pretty much. <laughs> Evil, evil avatar. Um, so, uh, I thought it would be an awesome, like, open source project if somebody found a way to just do, like, you know, a little bit of creative packet management and create, like, an NBA, you know, 98 server that you can log into, but except it, except it being NBA, it would actually support a chat mode or something. And you could actually, like, just, just change it. I mean, if you're going to make, if you're going to go through all the trouble of emulating the game, just change it. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Guys, don't sound like there's a lot of support for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the quietest the podcast has ever been is when I suggested NBA 98 online. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to take your word for that. I don't, I don't think I've ever played an NBA I think game. the last, the, the, the last like, the sports game that I played was like NHL 95, so. Mm. Yeah, well, that's because that's the best year yeah. that it was ever made. I was gonna say yeah, because that, that's because it's the best one. So, <laughs> exactly. That's right. There's actually a good one on uh, Origin for like four or five bucks. I think it's NHL '99 or something like that. Oh, it's really? Actually, it's really quite good. Oh, cool. 
I bought it because it was cheap and it was better than I expected. It had, I think it had everything but widescreen monitor support, but it, it was pretty good. I used well, to love uh, hockey games on PC. Me too. I um, wish they still made them. I actually played NHL 2010 or 2011 a few years ago. And one thing, this, this just tells you how great and how terrible EA is. There's actually an option in the settings that says play as NHL 94 mode. <laughs> and uh, Oh, yeah? Yeah. You can just say like I don't, I don't give a shit about the gameplay. I just want to play NHL '94, and they basically just right. switch all the controls, all the rules goes back to NHL '94, and uh, and the only difference is the 3D, and it's just amazing. That is that cool. sounds terrific. Actually, that's all I've ever really wanted from a hockey game because yeah. the new ones had like a million buttons and exactly. I don't care about all that shit. And, and the only thing you really want to do is like take runs at the goalie and crash the net. And the puck accidentally goes in. I mean, that's the only reason to play NHL. Right. Exactly. And uh, and check people after the whistle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway. Awesome. So speaking of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, I'm up next, I guess, aren't I? Yep. I don't know, unless anybody has anything else to say about galaxies, which none of us be here. Really no, played. please, please go ahead. And <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was in my. Uh... Yeah, Galaxies was kind of in my before before MMO times because had I been playing uh, MMOs at the time, I probably would have tried it, but I didn't. It was the same for me, really. I didn't try it until they were giving out like seven day trials or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even then, I wasn't into MMOs enough to really get it. Uh, next on my list, oh, next on my list, I have Republic Commando. Aha! Uh-huh. This is a first person shooter game based on the new. Trilogy? Can we even call it the new trilogy anymore? The, the no, prequel trilogy. trilogy. Thank you. The prequel trilogy. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's anything I like about the prequel trilogy whatsoever. At least from the movie standpoint. But for some reason, the games are actually pretty good. Some of them are anyway. Well, this one is no exception. Uh, Republic Commando is a first-person shooter, and it's a squad-based first-person shooter. I don't think it had cooperative, which was too bad, but. It was kind of. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like SWAT Four. SWAT Four, or like oh, really? uh, Rainbow Six, or oh, yeah. nice. So you you have this squad of your buddies, and I never understood this. You're all clones, but you all have different voices and different personalities. So I guess you're like not clones of the same. I don't. I, I don't know. How you're fraternal clones. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so you have to do a bunch of missions. I don't really know. There's like story and shit, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. I think the missions might have actually been like isolated. Like there was story within the missions, but I don't know if they. Oh, I see. There was no overarching plot. I don't think so. There, I might be wrong. Not that I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have just been like hitman kind of missions. So uh, each of your buddies has their own little specialty, and you play like the leader of. You're them. the Leonardo. <laughs> That, yeah, that's right. You're Leonardo. That's a, that's a really good analogy, especially since there's four of you. So you shoot your guns, pew, pew. There's a whole bunch of guns. They're fun to shoot. You can aim down the sights and stuff, and uh, the shooting feels good. It's like it's pretty rare, I find, that uh, uh, a futuristic kind of a shooter that has laser guns instead of bullets, sure. um, it still feels impactful, and this one really pulls it off, which is oh, that's, good that's, design. That's actually an interesting thing to bring up. I you just made me realize the only other game that seems to pull that off is XCOM. Um, it, it really, you, you fire your gun in XCOM, it feels like the thing just basically jolted your character back five feet. So yeah, like everything shakes. So like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, it shakes. does. Well, yeah. I was going to give, uh, I would give Dark Forces that uh, distinction as well, I think. 
Um, oh, I thought nice. that did a good job of that oh, kind yeah, of stuff, but I don't like that game, mm-hmm. so I don't want to talk about it too and much. It, and it really oh, did we talk about it? Yeah, we did. We did. It we really talked about that. Okay. Star Wars, um, the Stormtrooper guns actually have a great sound. You know what I mean? They, they oh, exactly. Sound, they're, they're perfect for that. A bolt shot. They do. Oh, yeah. And the, the gun sounds and stuff aren't quite as good in this game, although the version that I own, I have it on disc and I bought it on Steam, so I don't remember okay. which version it was, but it had some making of stuff in it. It had this long interview and demonstrations by the Foley artist who does all of these sound oh, wow. effects and, like, you know, knocking coconuts together and walking on paper bags and stuff like that. It was awesome watching that stuff because it was a really creative, talented <laughs> Uh, person who did that. Wow. So anyway, it's a pretty run-of-the-mill first-person shooter, except that you have this squad, and so every now and then you'll come across some sort of an obstacle, and any member of your squad can do it, pretty much. It'll be like you're at a door. You can either plant a bomb, or you can hack it open, or, I don't know, you can, like, force it open. I don't remember exactly. And so, for whatever re- or yeah, so, so um, your different guys could get past this obstacle anyway, or you as the leader had all of those skills, and so you could either choose to assign one of your squad members to go do this little time-based uh, task where they would be incapacitated doing this heads-down task for 10 seconds or 20 seconds okay. while you defend them, right. or you could do it and rely on the AI to defend you, and if you get interrupted in the middle, you got to start all over again. That was just sort of a neat thing. Um, That's actually pretty cool. I'm impressed. Yeah, and I, I also yeah, remember. Like a, like I also remember the, the Rainbow Six thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also remember the enemies being actually being somewhat challenging. Like the super battle droids were actually hard to beat. Oh yeah, I always cheesed my way through the super battle droids. They were like these big armored things, and for whatever reason, like the, one of the best attacks in the whole game was to club somebody with your pistol. <laughs> And so they're this huge, fearsome monster. And I just run up to them and whack them like on the on the chest, I'm, like punching this gigantic robot in the tip for twenty <laughs> seconds. And that's its one weakness. And I also remember so, when they'd come up, they'd be like SPDs. <laughs> they'd freak out. And... Oh, that's right, man. You saying it that way totally makes me wish they had a, a Ninja Turtles game like that. That would be so great. <laughs> It would take a minimum of modification to do that. Oh. And yeah, and each of you guys is even a different color. Oh, I'm so into <laughs> It's totally the Ninja Turtles. It's now. great. <laughs> totally. I don't know. I don't have too much to say about it, except that it's got good production values. It's got like the whole... It's got the good music. It's got um, the Australian dude who plays Boba Fett in the original trilogy. I'm struggling oh, really? to remember any more wow. parallels because I, I haven't uh, played it in so long. It's Boba Fett, right? The Australian dude? Yeah, or... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or Django, um, Django Fett. I can't remember what it is. Django Fett. Yeah. Or Django or, Fett. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was, I saw him in a couple of other movies. He's an amazing actor. Is it Tim Timora Morrison or something like that? Oh, is that his name? I can never remember. I cool. don't know. I, I never got the chance to play Robopla Commando. Didn't it, didn't it come out for multiple systems? Like, wasn't it also out for the Xbox? And, am I completely wrong about that? I'd be yeah. Yeah, it was it was a cross-platform release, and it's one of those rare cross-platform first-person shooters that played really yeah. well on PC. Wow, oh, that's so it runs beautifully nowadays on modern systems, and it still looks good. It's like that futuristic, stylized kind of a look. Oh, and it did this one awesome thing now that I remember all of a sudden, which was you know for a while you're killing these bug monsters, and when you kill them, they splatter <laughs> oh, into like yeah. a big thing of goo. And there's this awesome little effect, which is totally unnecessary, where the goo would splatter onto like your view screen, onto your visor, <laughs> and you had these like laser windshield wipers that would like <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like awesome. cauterize and burn the, the goo off of your screen. 
that was great. Oh, that's <laughs> nice awesome. little flourish. Oh, actually, it was no, on, no, so no, yeah, no, the game, it was on Unreal Engine two actually. Oh, uh, okay, that would explain why it works so well cross platform. Yeah, so actually, it looks like it came out on. It came out on Xbox and Windows, so it was a Microsoft deal. Oh, that's what it was. Does that mean it was the same engine as the game Unreal 2? Yes. Okay, I like that game, and I like that engine. I can sort of see that. It came out quite a bit after Unreal 2, I think. Yeah, it it came out in 05. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a bit after, I think. So that's interesting that the engine stayed viable. Well, I mean, a lot of these engines kind of hang around for for a long time, because I remember the game looking pretty good. It still looks pretty good today, honestly. I guess it's because your guys are wearing like their Space Marine suits, and you don't. I don't think you see anyone's mouth moving or anything. Right. Sure. So it gives it a bit of a timeless quality to it. I recommend it. Cool. Totally. Any shooter, any shooter fan, I think, who just it's it's just such a nice uh, pace that sometimes you're running around like blasting stuff and running through corridors, but other times you're kind of you have to bunker down and kind of turtle in and and protect okay. one vulnerable guy while he's doing something important. That's a really nice way to switch up the pace. Oh, right, and I remember now I'm looking at some... Sorry, go ahead. Yep. I'm looking uh, at no, some video... <laughs> Delay. I'm, uh, I'm looking at some video, and yeah, now I remember you see the whole... Your whole point of view of the game is from inside the helmet, so you see, like, your yeah. T-shaped yeah, exactly. visor kind of throughout the whole game. Ah. The Crusader No Remorse Yes, the Crusader No Remorse visor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, have, I have never played any of the previous <laughs> that that, that Yeah, me neither. Called, but that was the best comment I've ever heard on, uh, on, on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a great voicemail <laughs> by him. <laughs> uh, that kept me laughing. Um, I remember the trailer for uh, uh, Republic Meadow really, really well. Because I, I remember actually for the first time in years being excited about a new Star Wars game. And then I never played it. <laughs> That's not Oh, you owe it to yeah, yourself you to try it. If you if you like shooters, if oh, you don't like definitely. shooters, there's probably not much to like. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a I'm, I'm a shooters fan. Um, one thing I was actually going to ask about was the music. Like, how does it handle music? Because shooters and music don't often go together well. I think Star Star Wars shooters kind of by default just go into the whole orchestral okay. adventure music kind of a thing. It didn't really synchronize with the action or anything. That's what I, I was recall. wondering. So there's no uh, okay. So there's no live uh, kind of synchronization of it. Yeah, no. It was just pre-recorded stuff. I believe it had like you know sneaky music and battle music and okay. stuff like that. It was fairly cinematic and it doesn't get in the way, but it adds to it. Okay. Yeah, cool. sadly, it is not part of the Steam sale right now, but it is only ten bucks. So. Oh, oh and bad. it's well, well worth the ten bucks. It really is. Any shooter fan, I definitely recommend it because it's uh, one that I think slipped through the, the cracks when people are talking about good old shooters. Oh, great! That's, that's a good obscure title. Since we're in the 05, do you mind if I bring up? I know you, you're almost out of time, Joe, but I gotta bring this up. Can I, yep. can I talk about the elephant in the room? Go for it, please. Nice of the old Republic. Why, why haven't we talked about this? Oh, yeah. Sure. When you said elephant in the room, I thought you were going to talk about one of the uh, saxophone playing dudes in the. <laughs> <laughs> I think he played the the piano. Oh right. Oh yeah, that, 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 the, the, the blue guy, <laughs> the blue elephant. Oh sure. Oh, he has a saxophone blue for a face, I guess. Elephant slash rhinoceros slash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we definitely need yeah. to talk about Kotor. Oh my God! I okay. So I know I I've told the story more than once on the podcast, but I got to say it again. Kotor almost lost me my job. Uh, for mm-hmm. the federal government in those days, just because I um, 
got an Xbox. I think I told you a story how I illicitly got an Xbox for my job uh, <laughs> by signing up for a bunch of Cisco training uh, modules, right. and I burned up my entire academic training allowance. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was like 1500 or 2000 bucks on this. I never once cracked those Cisco books. <laughs> I just wanted the free Xbox. <laughs> and I got, uh, the, I immediately rushed out to Future Shop, grabbed Night of the Old Republic on launch day, and went home, played it until 4 a.m., skipped work on Friday, um, played it all day Friday, played it all day Saturday, played it all day Sunday, and then realized that I had not properly bathed or three days and <laughs> and this was in my little you know bachelor suite apartment uh which was i, I was looking pretty haggard so monday i decided okay i better i better get my act together and i i better go into work and i remember getting up at 7 30 in the morning kind of shaving because i hadn't shaved in five days and <laughs> thinking well i think i'm on the last planet so i think i can get away what if i just you know what? What if I just make this a long weekend? And I managed to, yeah, make a five-day-long weekend. And I finished Kotor in one solid weekend, and it was just—it was the last memory I have of gaming the shit out of something. And that was like <laughs> over ten years ago, and it was on the Xbox, which is uh, now that I think about it, it's like a like a feat that they pulled off running this very complex 3D game on a piddly. I think the Xbox was running like an Intel Pentium 2 400. Um, or maybe yeah, or a Pentium oh, 3 or three, something. Yeah, I think it was a Pentium 3. That's what it was. It was a Pentium yeah, it was 3, a pretty lower-powered machine. Yeah, and they pulled it off somehow. I think it's got like you know 256 megs of RAM. And this thing, um, I remember when you get down to... Oh, for anybody who hasn't played Nice the Old Republic, I should have prefaced this with... This is an RPG set. Um, Joe, you can help fill in this gap. What is the Old Republic um, kind of setting? It's uh, like a... I can't remember if it's like a thousand years before... It's. I think it's about a thousand years before. Okay. Okay. That's what I was kind of wondering. I thought it was maybe only a few hundred. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's like it's way in in the old times, which is actually kind of why in the whole canon type, you know, reset that Disney has done, this is kind of dubious as to whether or not it's oh. invalid now because it's so long ago, and like the game is right. still running, and Disney, like uh, you know, the uh, the MMO, Old Republic is still right. running, which kind of exists in the same universe as this. Uh, you know, so they're they're kind of dubious as to whether or not this is invalid now. Oh, I hope I hope they don't make it invalid okay. because I remember when I played this game, I thought, why the hell did they make a Star Wars movie out of it? This would have been my Star Wars. Movie. I would have. Well, it was so liberating that. that they diverged from all that the the original movie stuff. I'm so glad that they didn't exactly. feel bogged down by mm-hmm. that. Exactly, and they had like these interesting kind of warrior race. I can't. They started with a T. I can't remember what they're called now. Uh, oh, sorry, the Mandalorians. Uh, that's what I was thinking of. The Mandalorian. Oh, right. Kind of, they're kind of like a warrior slash um, mercenary race, and you know they're they're humans, but they're they're you know they've got their own culture. They you kind of get. To, it was the first time I think is this a Bioware game? Am I wrong? Yeah. So yes. so this is like the proto Mass Effect, really. Like yes, exactly. That's, that's yeah, exactly it is. the way I see it. Yeah, and. Um, the, it's the first time you see NPCs having conversations with each other, other than Baldur's Gate too. Yeah, uh, there's conversations. Right. You can there, there's there's romantic relationships like this. If you played this and you if you haven't played this and you have played Mass Effect, going back to play this, you will see how this this game is the roots Absolutely. of Mass Effect. Like the, it has the yep. same kind of 
you know, light side, dark side versus, you know, renegade paragon exactly. and, this, you know, the same conversation trees, the same relationships with NPCs and all that stuff. It's a very, right. yeah. And yeah. yet it is a Dungeons and Dragons combat engine. That's yeah. It's right. all dice rolls, using, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wasn't it using second or third edition? It was something using something, uh, pretty antiquated even at that time. And I remember thinking, oh, this feels awfully familiar. It turned out it was ADD. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, through and through. It really is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I think it was the third edition. Which works just fine. Yeah, Yeah, because I think, like, yeah, they do, like, this interesting... Like the combat is like it, it's real time in that you watch it happen, but it's it is really yeah. turn based, and you can pause the action. Running turn based, yeah. I loved that. They did that extremely well. Yeah, and it feels it really like fluid. feels urgent, but you can still pause it and strategize and yeah. plan a few steps ahead. Exactly. And uh, no, I, I I absolutely agree. I really love that. Um, I remember thinking that I, I think was it you, Brian, that brought this up? But some, oh no, sorry, it was a friend of mine locally in town here. Uh, my friend, hi, Doug. Uh, Doug brought this up, I think. Um, we were we, we have this, because Bioware is in our hometown here, we, we have this thing where we just love to complain about Bioware nonstop. And um, uh, one of the things we complain about is Edge of the Old Republic does suffer from a one combat issue that's been an issue in every single Bioware game, which is doesn't matter what you do, just hit flurry, 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 flurry. Right. flurry oh, yeah, flurry, that's true. Flurry, and you, you won the combat. Like, there's nothing... It's going to be so rare for you to run into a combat where you actually have to change your strategy. Right. Oh, so the and game is been, actually written a- by... I didn't realize this game was written by Drew Carpation, who is a Star Wars oh. EU author, and he wrote all the Darth Bane oh. stuff. And Oh, so wow. He- that, that, that explains the strength of the story, then. Because oh. the overarching story in that game is Oh, awesome. it's incredible. It's it really is. good. And it's honestly and like... That's such a rare thing, like, for a, an RPG to resolve in a way that actually, like, you care even a little bit about is so exactly. rare but they did, did a great job yeah exactly yeah, and it's almost like if you haven't played it you don't want to we, we don't want to ruin it for you like go play well, it and I you was can... just about to, really don't i was just about to yeah. say that there's a great relationship do you remember there's kind of a, a love-hate relationship between basila and mission veil they if you have them both in your party they kind of nitpick at each other and oh, do they? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah they, they, they really really just don't get along and um there's this great little moment where um you know, Bastille is always fucking lecturing you about don't use your force powers to do bad things. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she, I think she uses to whack Mission on the ass at some point. And like, or no, she trips, she trips her. <laughs> and and Mission's like, huh? It's like, what happened? And Bastille kind of looks away and you're like, okay, that's a, that's a cute little thing to complicate a character. It's like, yeah, she... She talks the big game, but she's actually willing to just be as bad as you are with that with her. Right, and, and, and that's the thing. I think the, like a lot of the NPCs are interesting. Like again, much like Mass Effect, everyone's got their own story, and you can choose to engage in that or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Definitely. and I was actually wrong. It's actually four thousand years in the past, not just one thousand. Oh, wow. So we're like way back. Oh, that's crazy. Hmm. Which is oh. funny because it kind of suffers from the same thing that like you know the Old Republic suffers from and the comics suffer from in this time period is that the technology is all exactly the same basically <laughs> right yeah you know. it, it is um, but i mean you yeah, got they, di- they dress in very similar ways you know they've all got lightsabers they've all got hyperdrives they've all got you know it's it's kind of uh, an interesting uh little kind of thing you have to you, you have to kind of like uh accept it you know it's like it's star wars it's fantasy basically so go with it yeah the only thing i think i remembered not remembering or not not seeing in the movies was vibroblades which were just like oh, right. swords that vibrate yeah yes. but that was a that was a big thing in even in like the west end game stuff 
like in, in the oh, EU, really? vibroblades were a big were a big deal. Ah, so, so in so, which so time came, period did that came in through the novels then? Yeah, yeah, but I mean that okay. was all like in the movie time period. So I don't know if right. Oh, they have, yeah, oh. It, it was all there. It's just they they never really appeared. But basically, any if you would, if you would see like a knife or something, like even technically those axes that the the Gamorian guards have, right? At oh, Palace, like the they, yeah, they're like vibro axes. Technically, you just oh we, oh I didn't know that. Um, yeah, so basically, it's like cutting through anything is like cutting through hot butter because it's like it has these little micro vibrations that make it you know much more deadly and all this stuff. Oh, that's funny. I okay, I won't I won't ruin this for our audience because I guarantee there is going to be a lots and lots of folks who haven't played Kotor, but um, it has one of the best things that I thought was absolutely missing in all of the Star Wars movies, which is a great a great thing that they unveil halfway or three quarters through the game, which is fastless uh, battle meditation. Which I just thought was a what an awesome thing. Do, do you guys remember the scene of Basilisk Battle Meditation? Yes. I don't know if I remember a scene, but it's that's how the very beginning of the game they, they talk about it. Yeah, they mentioned it at the beginning, and then they show it again when she's actually in the middle of a massive, uh, a massive kind of firefight. And I thought I, I don't want to ruin this for anybody. I won't explain what it is, but I thought it has this nice little cinematic where you see her kind of meditating, and then all of a sudden you see the battle kind of turn. The middle of uh, in the middle of a space battle, and you're like, okay, that's pretty badass. It is a badass power. <laughs> the most badass force power there is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was. So I'm sure I, I'm sure I mentioned this when we were talking about Kotor last time. But some of the missions, I I think I played it. It's very uncharacteristic for me to play a, a like a morality kind of an RPG yep. as the bad guy, but I did it with this game, and I felt like such a jerk, <laughs> like such a bad guy. The kind of moralistic choices that they give to you, there's even, like, shades of how evil you want to be, and you can just do some really despicable, horrible stuff that doesn't benefit you in any way. It just screws some person over, and they plead with you, and they explain to you how if you just did this one little thing barely different, it would make, like, a year of difference to them, and you're like, no, nope, screw you! I'm, I'm <laughs> stealing you know your what? last 400 actually, credits so that I can spend I it on really alcohol. I really like that, um... I do too. You know, that's like that's a huge change. Because Bioware, what happened with, with their later games was they kind of got rid of the fuck you kind of um, response. And in the end, you just become a bit of a mercenary in the later, you know, in all the Mass Effect games. It's like, well, I'll only do it if you give me 500 credits. Or how much will you pay yeah. me? And instead, I love that they really put the full abuse to the dark side of that game. They're just like, no, I'm not only going to not help you. I'm going to kill your dog while you watch. Because <laughs> I'm a dark Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought it was fun. I was like, you know, that's, that's actual evil. Evil isn't, you know, how much is, is this going to cost you? Uh, evil is actually, no, I'm going to do this for the sake of being bad. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and, if, and if, you, if anyone hasn't played it, uh, I can speak to the, the iPad version is actually very good. It it's is. A, it's a very good port. I don't know about the Android version. I imagine it's similar. And I wish they would revamp the PC one because it is pretty dated. It's not widescreen. It's low resolution unless you do some kind of hacks to it and stuff, and it really shows its mm-hmm. age. It's still totally worth playing on PC if yeah. you don't have any other version, yeah. but I suspect the mobile ones are probably the way to go. Although I, it's like a 40 or 50 hour game. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a Bioware RPG all the way. It is yep. a long game. Yeah, so a mobile device seems like a peculiar medium. I thought it was too until I played it on the iPad, and I was actually blown away at how good the controls were. 
Um, mm. For the most part, it's just tap to run this way, double tap to attack someone. Um, and it just all of a sudden I said, well, like, well, uh, you can actually, I think you can use your fingers and twist them to turn the camera around. Um, I was actually pretty impressed. I think in the end, the PC version is the best. Um, and by the way, there are there is a really good widescreen hack to um, get it running widescreen natively. Um, it even it, I think it even changes out some of the UI, so it upgrades the UI to widescreen UI. Um, oh, I got to check that out. Yeah, I would love to replay mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it actually is a it is a good um, it is a good UI improvement. I think there's only a couple of niggling problems with it, but um, for the most part, it's really good. And uh, yeah, of course. Since it's a Bioware RPG, it also has these really weird graphical glitches that still happen even though games have passed to death. I'll never forget getting into this battle with, uh, I can't remember, right? Uh, some, some mercenary with, uh, oh crap, what's his name? He has these steampunk glasses on. Do you guys remember this guy? I remember um, the guy and I can't remember his name. For the last. Is he the guy in like that bright pink jacket or something? I think his name Callum something. Callum Nord or Calum, Calum Nord or Calum something. Um, yeah, something he's like, like a that. Total, total jerk, and I just remember this part. I went to throw a plasma grenade at him, and I'd like stock up these plasma grenades like crazy because they're hard to come by. And I fired three in a row, and he and he went to explode because it's just like a generic explosion animation. But when he exploded, I think they meant to like throw his body up in the air, and instead, the um, the body mesh uh, expanded in every direction. <laughs> Uh, in about a million kilometers in every direction, so he cool. looked like a, like a, this massive, oversized sea urchin. It was the strangest black wow. I've ever seen. Sweet. And I just like walked around this black sea urchin for five minutes. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't talk to him. I think what was supposed to happen is you're supposed to knock him down, and he goes, "Okay, okay, I'll stop bothering you." Uh, but I'm mm. like, I literally. So yeah, every every Bioware game since then has had some sort of bizarre massive graphical glitches that happen during battle and I have no idea why. And they always have to do with the mesh the mesh manager. <laughs> cool. Anyway, sorry. Just came to mind. Cool. <laughs> So yeah, I guess I'll say if, if of, of all the games we've talked about, I, I would suggest of, of all of them play Kotor. Just because it's I would yeah. say that too, for sure. It is a brilliant brilliant. If you're gonna game. choose one. And I'm and I'm always surprised by how many people I talk to who've never played it. Yeah. It's kind of strange. Or yeah, I guess it was one of the first... And, and they well, it was one of the first, like, uh, sci-fi RPGs, I guess, before it came, became pretty mainstream mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. Mass Effect. So I think when people were in the mood for an RPG back then, they'd play something kind of fantasy-oriented. So it was kind of a hard sell, perhaps. Yeah, I think... And I think but, and it, was, it came out in a time where no one was making RPGs. Um, you know... That's yeah, that's true too. But I mean, I wasn't all that into RPGs pretty much my whole life. Maybe wow. like Nintendo ones, oh, wow. but never really on PC. And that was the first one that I really played to completion and really, really cared about. Yeah, and oh, I think it's probably cool. because these these ones are more combat RPGs. So you know, they are RPGs, but there, there is much more of a focus. You know, more like like Fallout and, and other games like that. They're focused a lot more on the fighting and a lot less on. Well, they're also very cinematic. Yeah. where like the conversations that you have, they're all fully voiced. There's a right. ton of dialogue, and you can really choose what you want want to say it's a lot like an interactive movie at least in terms of like it felt that way when it came mm-hmm. out oh definitely we, we've gone I, above and beyond that today but i remember really when that that came out i felt that this is just a variation on a theme it's total reskin or something um yeah. I, I think in, you know this may be blasphemy to some but i really think that kotor is probably bioware's best game um 
Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't disagree. A lot of folks really love Mass Effect 2 and 3. Anyway, oh, I, I, it took me a lot of false starts, but I did finish Mass Effect 1. Yep. Just the begin, the first hour of Mass Effect 1 is so boring. <laughs> getting through that first hour, it, there's a lot of stuff to like. And then Mass Effect 2, I gave it a try, and it felt to- like a, a dumbed-down console game to me. Oh, really? So, like, way fewer options. And yeah, I, combat I really didn't like Mass it at Effect all. 2, that's for sure. Yeah, so I, I gave up after, like, two hours or so of Mass Effect 2, which is too bad, because I was invested in my characters by yeah. then. I, and think, just, and... I think the best compliment Sorry, go ahead. I give KOTOR is um, that I felt that the Mass Effect games, as well as the uh, Dragon Age games, became soap opera-ish. They became too much about the internal squabbles of your little party. And not, yeah. not enough about, you know, the, it's like, remember, there's actually a universe at stake here. Um, and, it, you know, it became little, little, uh, kind of stuff. And I don't know. There's something about, um, about Kotor that feels very contained. Everything feels like, yep, yeah, you're just on one little quest. And once you finish that quest, things will be okay again. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like it didn't get too much into the soap opera crap. Yep, yep. Cool. I don't know. That was, that, that was one compliment I could give uh, writing, the dialogue yeah. writing for. Great. All right, one, one, thing, one last thing I want to put in, because I'm, I'm over time, so sure. i got to run. But uh, sure. uh, there was a really great interview. If, if you're at all interested in, uh, in the history of the, the flight sims that we talked about last time, you know, like uh, X-Wing, yeah. TIE Fighter, all those, there was a really great interview that Space Game Junkie did with uh, David Westman, who... Oh. Uh, yeah, and he worked on. Oh, yeah. So he he was a mission designer on X Wing and Tie Fighter, and he was one of the lead, if not the lead designer, one of the lead designers on X Wing versus Tie Fighter and X Wing Alliance. Wow. And he he didn't doesn't until now he hadn't given a lot of interviews, but he was working on that Starfighter Inc. Uh, project right. that uh, unfortunately the the Kickstarter didn't uh, didn't pan out, but apparently they're still gonna do they're still gonna come out with the game. Cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, but uh, really great interview with him, and uh, he he goes a lot into. The politics and, and and stuff that was going on at LucasArts at the time, and uh, wow. I found out a bunch of stuff that I didn't even realize because I didn't know. Just a, a little teaser here to make you go listen to it. Uh, that X-wing was actually in development uh, before Wing Commander came out because a lot of people say, "Oh, really? Wing Commander came out," and and that's what inspired uh, you know the guys to do X-wing, and that's not the case. They were deep into development when Wing Commander came out. Oh, mm, it was just boy. a much it was a much more complicated simulation. Mm-hmm. I guess. So yeah, oh, it's a, it's a very interesting interview. Yeah, a very interesting interview. That's great. So I would. Uh, oh, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. I, I I meant to check that out this week and I I forgot. Wow. Terrific. Yeah. All right. Well, hey Joe, thank you so so much for joining us again. It's always a real pleasure. We'd love to have you back again if you can stand the, the sound. Oh God, no! This is this is a blast. Like I said, after the week that I had, it's uh, it was a good a good time. Oh, <laughs> so, me too. Oh, me too. That's I had a hell of a week. Well, onward and upward. Absolutely. So thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I hope to come back soon. All right. Okay, that's great. Well, we hope you have a better week this week, Joe. I know you got a couple of tough things on your plate, but I think it sounds like it's going to work out okay. Oh, yeah. No problems. All the best. All right. Well, folks, uh, blah, 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 squarefm.demodulated.com, squarefm at demodulated.com, and at squarewavesfm. Plug plug all three of those into Twitter, email, or web, and you'll get one of the three correct. For, for those and loyal, loving, loving listeners who stayed on this long, uh, MPC got mailed out yesterday. Um, so oh, awesome. MPC's Thanks, on its way to your doorstep as we speak. 
And uh, oh, that's amazing. If, if you're one of the folks that sent in your address or requested it, um, I don't know if I resent it to everyone who asked for issue one. If you're one of those people that asked for issue one, but you didn't tell me you wanted issue two, please, please, please send a quick uh, note to Brian so we can get that sent out to you. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, right. and Joe, you're going to have the worst, hands down, the worst belated birthday gift in the mail to your house very, very soon. <laughs> I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> It'll be punishment. Pure All right. crap punishment. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Love you okay. lot, listeners. We'll talk to you in a few days. Bye-bye. Yeah, take it easy, y'all. Bye, Bye-bye. everyone.
we've lost it.